0: Welcome back into Bill's chat. This is Josh, and tonight
1: I am with Luca as always. How's it going, Luca? It's going good. I am happy to be back recording, and I'm just—I cannot wait to keep talking draft.
0: And you are in a good mood tonight, also because another Buffalo team is doing pretty well, huh?
1: Oh, absolutely. How can you not be excited about the Sabres right now? I mean, they've been suckful for so long, and it's just—it's great to—it's great to feel good about them once again.
0: Absolutely. I'm not the biggest hockey fan. We talked about it on the first show. I live in St. Louis. I definitely have a soft spot in my heart for the Sabres, just listening to Buffalo Sports Talk Radio and obviously having friends like Luca who are diehard Sabres fans. So it's good to see them turning it around. Obviously, this season's not going to end in a playoff run for them, but hopefully the future is bright. But speaking of the future, The NFL future is about two weeks away now, Luca. Two weeks and change. The NFL draft will kick off on Thursday night. It is flying by. It's going to be here before you know it. And Luca, I don't think we've talked about this yet, but I know you on NFL game days in the fall, you go all out. It's an event. You have people over at your house. It's the same thing for me. I don't have people over because I have two kids, but my entire Sunday is planned around watching the Bills game and watching the other NFL games. I have multiple TVs in my basement. It's NFL all day long. Same thing with you. What we haven't talked about is draft routine. So what does draft night in the Luca household look like?
1: So surprisingly, draft night is actually pretty calm. Um, Obviously, with them now starting on Thursdays, I think they started that probably just over a decade ago at this point. Um, Thursdays are just kind of... Wrapping up my work week, seeing where my Friday is going to be and just relaxing with the now fiance or whatever. No big plans because Thursday nights haven't been a big night for me for years now, ever since I was in college. And then Friday, actually Fridays of the draft almost always now end up being when my bowling, uh, uh, whatever you want to call it, wrap up dinner. Just an excuse for a bunch of grown men to drink together on a Friday night that are way too old to be doing so. Love that's, it. That's what happens on Friday. So then, you know, me and my buds that w- we all bowl together, we're just at uh, whatever fire hall or what whatnot, drinking, watching the day two of the draft. So yeah, draft draft is pretty calm. You know, I don't go all out like I do in the season. It's a pretty relaxed thing, but I definitely make sure there's at least one screen somewhere, whether I'm on the road or at a bar or at home that has the draft on.
0: So what I did last year was I had my nephew over. He is in high school. He's 15 going on 16, and he is a Colts fan. So I think we're going to do that again this year, although the Colts don't even have a first-round pick because they traded that away for Carson Wentz. Sorry, Noah, if you're listening, that's a sore subject for you, but they traded Wentz away for some other picks, and now they have Matt Ryan, so all is well. He is a draft head. I'm very proud of that, and he already has his mock draft figured out what he wants the Colts to do. But this is a Bill's show, and we are going to talk all about the draft. How about day three, Luke? Are you uh, wire to wire on day three, or is that just more of a check your phone for updates kind of day for you?
1: No, I think I mentioned it. Uh, it was either last pod or two pods ago, where day three, I almost forget it when it even starts, and I noticed on the, or I'll notice on the ESPN app, I should say, and be like, oh, wow, day three started. I should probably keep an eye on that once in a while. See,
0: this is different for me because prior to having kids... And a wife, but you know, the wife by itself is not a big deal. It's very similar to having a girlfriend. She doesn't necessarily mind of me, you know, dying into a TV show and just going away so she can do her own thing. But when you have kids, it's kind of hard to hide in front of a TV for three days straight. So night one NFL draft, my nephew comes over, we watch it. Night two, much of the same, enjoy it. By the time Saturday rolls around, it's a pretty tough sell for me to be like, all right, Jackie. Eight more hours in front of the TV, that's just not gonna fly. So what I do there is I'm kind of like you as I have it on in the background, but I'm also playing with my kids, getting stuff done around the house. I'm aware of when the bills are coming up. Honestly, a lot of times what I do on day three is I'll just listen to WGR. It's either Joe DiBiase or South Capaccio or Nate Geary. They're doing their draft coverage and they'll kind of keep you up to date on what's going on. And it's a very Bills-centric live show. So I'm with you. I don't sit there and just stare at the TV, but I will DVR it so I can go back and look at the Bills picks and see what the national guys had to say. One last draft
1: question. Are you an NFL Network guy or an ESPN guy on draft night? I switch back and forth. I I have to kind of, you know, on the fly when either it's the Bills pick or just anyone of note in the draft, I have to see what everyone's take was instantaneously. I need to know what was said, how it was felt. Obviously, in a day of Twitter being as big as it is, you don't necessarily have to do that. I feel like you know, if any notable clip or if anything crazy was said, you'll find it on Twitter within the minute. But um, yeah, I kind of do both. If I had to choose which one I pick over the other, I am actually an ESPN person. And I'm not sure if that's a popular opinion or not. I just think I like their production value better. I think NFL, as much as their... Analysts might be I don't I don't know, like as I I might put their analysts and just their on air presence better and everything like that. Like I like Daniel Jeremiah personally more than Kuiper or McShay, but I just like the production value of ESPN a little bit higher. So it's just more entertaining to have on the TV or on my phone or whatever I'm watching, whichever day it is. It's just a little bit a little bit more entertaining to me. There's a nostalgia factor, I think,
0: with ESPN, too. If you're of a certain age, you just grew up with Mel Kuyper telling you how your team did during the draft. So I'm with you. I think I prefer Daniel Jeremiah. And I don't even know who the ESPN host is going to be this year because for the longest time it was Chris Berman. and Then they transitioned to Trey Wingo. I'm thinking maybe Susie Kolber. They really need to just, just throw Laura Rutledge out there, the host of NFL Live. She is fantastic, and she would be a great point person for that show. We'll find out on draft night. Um, I'm excited to get it going. Um, Tonight, we are, of course, are going to be talking more about the 2022 draft. The last two episodes, two episodes ago, we did all things offense. Last week, we did all things defense. And tonight, Luca, we are going to take a look at some mock drafts out there and essentially mock the mocks. We're going to go through those mock drafts give our opinion of that draft as it's playing out, how it's looking for the bills as the picks come off the board. It's essentially going to be us pretending we're watching the draft play out and giving our live reaction. I'm looking forward to that. But, Luca, are you a mock draft guy? Because I feel like mock drafts are one of those things, maybe kind of like black licorice, where you either love them or you hate them. There's not really people that are like, oh, mocks are okay. I feel like there's people on one side that just – Can't get enough of mock drafts and whether it's Mel Kuyper or Todd McShay or Daniel Jeremiah or even some guy you've never heard of for CBS sports or whatever, bleacher report, it comes out and you just have to read it. You have to see who your team picked, who they passed on, and it's like, feed me more, feed me more. And then there's the other camp that are like, This is the dumbest exercise I've ever seen in my life. All it takes is one pick to go wrong and the whole mock is ruined. And, you know, I can see the validity on both sides. I tend to be obsessed with mock drafts. I love it. I can't get enough of them. I don't care who writes them. Obviously, I put more validity into the people that write them that are have some intel within the league. But I love the scenario exercise. But where do you stand on mocks?
1: I'm a big mock person myself as well. Also, I will say I'm a big black licorice person myself. Interesting. I a big black. I don't know what it is. There's a there's a liqueur out there. um, it's, I cannot think of it. It's almost like a dessert, liquor, um, out there. I can't think of what it's called at this moment in time. I'm blanking. It's probably cause it's nine 46 at night and I've done a lot of work today, but it tastes like black licorice and I'm not thinking of Jaeger. It's something else out there. And I love it. I, that's like my victory shot at bars at times, big black licorice person, but not to get too far off track on that. Um, yeah, I love mock drafts. I, I love everything about them. I think When it comes to like speculating and just seeing what people think, I I think that's what it is. It's almost like you're getting people's opinions where the, you know, source material they're gathering from to make that decision is always intriguing as well. And obviously makes some people's mocks have a little more validity and, you know, meaning to them, you know, clearly they might have insider info or they're hearing around the league what might be transpiring with a certain pick here and there. But just in general, all the different sites out there, all the different people that take the time to make these mocks, it's fascinating to me to see where they view all these different teams and what they feel would be best for them come draft day. And, and I, I cannot get enough of it. I love when people post it. I love when discussion happens about it. I get mad at my, own, my normal day job when I see in the Discord, for instance, that someone's talking about a mock draft because I want to be involved in that conversation. I want to hear what they have to say about it. Because it is just, I can't get enough of it. I can't. And then once the draft comes and it's done, I'm almost mad because we're not going to get mocks for another nine months or so.
0: So it's a lot like Christmas for me, where I, I'm a big Christmas guy. And I've been that way since before I even had kids. But even now that I have two kids, it is that times a thousand is I love everything about the Christmas season. I love the songs. I love the get togethers. I love hanging out with your family. I love buying gifts. I love the Santa Claus stuff. The second that December 25th is over, I don't want to hear jingle bells. I don't want to see snow on the ground. I don't want to hear anything about Christmas. It's, the charm is gone. The day is over. We had our Christmas. It's great. It's not the same at that point. I don't want to watch Christmas movies on, Jan- on December 26th. It's done. Same thing with you and the mock drafts. I know we get the day after. Here's a mock draft for the next year. I have zero interest in those. I will take a peek at them just to kind of familiarize myself with who the guys are that are getting steam for the next year. And honestly, with the way they're already talking about the 2023 quarterback draft class, I'll probably take a peek at it just to familiarize myself with some of those names because it's already being hyped as one of the better quarterback classes in a long time. But I can't do day after draft mocks for a a year out, but we're on the same page there. I'm looking forward to mocking the mocks tonight and uh, going through a few of those exercises with you. But Luca, we have some Bills news to get to because our last show was recorded on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, the Bills decided to drop a bombshell with a Stefan Diggs extension. So Luca, Stefan Diggs is locked up for the Bills for the uh, foreseeable future. And I guess my first question to you is, one, were you in favor of that extension given his age and his production? Because I will tell you, I thought it needed to be done. I thought he's still playing at a very high level. And I think we've talked about this. Stefan Diggs, to me, is a guy who's going to age very well the way he plays. I think even when he starts to lose a step, which I think will be several years down the line, he profiles very well as a guy who just moves into a full-time slot role and is going to be just fine there for three or four years, even if he doesn't have that high level of explosion that he has right now. I was all in favor of it. But what was your reaction when you saw the extension?
1: It's exciting to start with that. It's another guy who's going to be here for the foreseeable future. And as he even put it to retire a bill and just retire at this location. And I'm going to start also by saying, I apologize if anyone hears a dog barking, uh, my backyard neighbors leave their dogs out for hours at an end. And he always wants to get inside. So my windows are open. If you hear it, I apologize. Um, But yeah, I love the move. I love the, uh, I love everything about keeping Diggs in Buffalo for the rest of his career. I love, you know, 17 to 14. I love everything about it. As you said, I do think his talents will translate very well when it comes to later on in his career. It seems like, is it just me or does it seem like wide receivers, especially of the elite nature and the peak of their career that have great footwork, generally age well? The guys who are able to create space and are able to do things with their footwork and just, you know, get the most out of a little bit. Those are the guys that can really push, you know, say the early to even mid 30s of their career and really become still useful in that time. Because I think that's kind of where I put digs. I kind of put him, obviously his elite route running ability is what allows him to create beyond space with, you know, combining that with his speed and everything of that nature but even when the speed and that burst that he you know has at this moment goes away i think his footwork is such an elite level of skill at this point and that won't go away his you know just the choppiness his just what he knows to do with that footwork i think that's always going to be there that's that will be there until just i mean his legs stop working i it, that seems like by by the time he retires He would still have that ability. He'll still be able to create space. He'll still be savvy enough that you're going to be able to see out that a career uh, out that contract, I should say, and everything. I don't think anyone's going to complain, especially if, you know, say it brings a championship or two. Anyone that was hating on the money again, I'm going to probably say this all the time. No one gives a crap how much you got paid. If you deliver championships, it doesn't matter. We want wins. If you get wins you got paid for it, so who cares? and yeah, I, I just everything about it was good. The immediate need of clearing up cap space, great, you know, keeping digs here in the long term, even better. let's just keep it happening. Let's keep seventeen to fourteen for six. let's keep doing that. I love it it's It's been working pretty damn well for the past couple of years. Let's keep it going as long as it can
0: and the thing about the money is we have to keep in mind that the salary cap is always going up. The NFL is still recovering from COVID from a couple years back. So the cap is lower than they projected, but it's projected to go up significantly, especially with these new Amazon TV deals that are coming around. And I think when you look at it, you have DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, um, McLaurin, uh, Debo Samuel, there's another one, uh, Johnson in Pittsburgh, all coming up soon for their contracts. And um, several of those guys next year And they're all going to get more than Diggs because that's how the market works. And I think it's a situation where right now, yes, he's one of the highest paid receivers in the league. One, two years down the line, it's going to look like an absolute bargain. So great move for Diggs, great move for the Bills. And Luca, I had a funny thought last week because you and I, we talk about the drought a lot. It's actually one of the focal points of our show at the end when we play the big three. And yes, we're going to play a big three tonight. We'll get into that later on, but If you were a member of Bills Mafia that survived the drought, there was a time, Luca, when we would just spend hours and days refreshing Twitter to see if Charles Clay was going to sign with the Miami Dolphins or if they were going to let his transition tag go and he'd be with the Bills. Charles Clay. There was a time when Bryant Johnson from the Cardinals hit free agency and we were refreshing Twitter hoping he would sign with the Bills. What a difference this is now where it's Vaughn Miller, Stefan Diggs, like premier players at their positions in the league, superstar high end players want to come to Buffalo or in Diggs case came to Buffalo and want to stay in Buffalo. It's just a completely different existence. Sometimes I have to pinch myself because it doesn't feel real, but this is our reality right now. I think 70 to 80% of it has to do with 17 because he's that special, but you can't ignore the fact that what Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have built from the ground up, and they did in fact come in and build it from the ground up, is a recipe for long-term success. It's a program people believe in. It's a program people want to be a part of. And like Von Miller said, this is a team that was going to win the Super Bowl without him, so he might as well get on the ride. And Luke, I, I don't know if you've had a chance to kind of sit there and think about it, but The existence we had five, six, seven years ago, hoping for some of those average players to come to Buffalo or, you know, no offense to Tyrod Taylor, but just wondering, are they going to extend him? Cause he's the best quarterback we've seen in 10 years. That's just not our lives anymore. And I'm so much happier on this
1: side of the fence. I did think about it a little bit. I believe someone else had brought that up. Maybe it was you in a discord at one point. And I was like, wow, yeah, we really have come a far way. Um, and I, yeah, I gave it a little bit of thought, you know, not hating on Charles Clay either. He was our leading receiver one of those years, uh, as sad as that might seem. So <laughs> um, it, it's, it's definitely, yes, we've come a long way. It's, it's great to be here. Never want to leave this space. This is great. Being a destination is a wonderful thing. Being a place where people want to play and finish their careers that's something that, honestly, I never thought would happen. Buffalo as a city, take away the sports and everything of that world. Buffalo as a city, as a great city, the suburbs are a great place to spend the rest of your life. I mean, there's another podcast I listen to all the time, Hockey podcasts After the Whistle. Craig Grave, you know, lifelong uh, Montreal Canadian. Everyone knows Craig Grave if you you watch hockey and especially if you watch the Sabres because, of course, he was a Sabres captain at one point. But he spends the rest of his days here in Buffalo. And if you'd have asked him, you know, when he first got traded to Buffalo, he even says on numerous occasions that he did not want to come here at first. But he now finds himself living the rest of his days here because it's a great place to live. But that didn't keep people here. No one wanted to come to Buffalo because it was a great place to live because the team sucked. The bills were never good. So you wanted to collect your paycheck and get out of here. Well, now people want to come here because not only is it a great place to live, and cost of living is pretty cheap, but hey, there's a pretty good fucking football team that plays at an Orchard Park there every Sunday. So yeah, it's it's a wonderful place to be. I love it. Hopefully this never never ends. It I'm sure eventually, you know, it might change. But for the time being, while 17 is our quarterback, I don't see that happening, and that is fantastic.
0: Anytime he's under center, I think the Bills are going to be a Super Bowl contender. I think he's that good, as long as we don't get into a situation like the Falcons, where they have a great quarterback, but they just have a roster that's bereft of talent. I think Brandon Bean is competent enough to keep the talent level strong enough that Josh Allen always has the ability to carry his team to a Super Bowl. You don't need a great roster around him every year, and it's probably not realistic to have that. But as long as the Oster is, roster is average to above average... I think Allen has the ability to carry this team to the championship. They're going to be in contention. It's just about getting into the playoffs, getting hot, getting lucky, and trying to hoist that Lombardi. So one of those decisions that we talk about, um, the Bills having to make this offseason, seems to maybe be coming up before this season is even played. We talked about upcoming free agents on the defensive episode last week and mentioned Jordan Poyer. Well, Jordan Poyer has a new agent, and If you are a fan of the NFL, you've certainly heard of his agent, Drew Rosenhaus. And Luca, for the most part, when somebody signs with Drew Rosenhaus, it's because they want to get a deal done or they're unhappy with the pace at which their current deal was going. And if you follow Rachel Bush on Twitter, she is Jordan Poyer's wife, if you're not familiar. She's pretty outspoken about his career and her thoughts on things. And she made it pretty clear that Jordan Poyer is underpaid and has been playing on team-friendly deals. And she said that if the Bills were willing to extend Stefan Diggs with two years to go on his deal, then they should be willing to do it with Poyer with one year to go on his deal. There's a lot to get into with this Jordan Poyer, Rachel Bush, Twitter dynamic. But let's set that aside for now. And just in general, given his age, 31, but given his current level of play, which was all pro, What do you do with Jordan Poirier, Luca? It's an interesting question.
1: Um, I think we discussed it, as you said before. He was definitely on the list of priorities uh, just under Eddie O and Knox, I think, is where we agreed we put him as a priority. But all of a sudden, you bring Drew Rosenhaus into the equation here. And yeah, you bring in Rosenhaus if you had other ah, representation. Going into it, you bring him in because you want to get paid. I mean, that's he—he's a mega agent. He's—he's he's the guy that gets you paid. He's—he's he's the one that can really push buttons and get you every dollar he can. And um, it's definitely a sign that he wants his money. Uh, I think the Rachel Bush tweets and everything about that—not shocking at all. For one, I think the tweets were deleted so quick that by the time I read your DM to me through Discord. They were already deleted and I didn't have any clue what you were talking about, but uh, that's yeah. how quick it was. But then I got the gist and, you know, from other sources and I was like, yeah, I'm not surprised one bit. Um, but yeah, I, he deserves to get paid. I'll, I'll put it this way. I understand both sides of the situation. If you talk about the bills and where their stance is, just not with obviously having an actual answer to that and where they do stand when it comes to a dollar amount. If you look at the positions as a whole around the entirety of the league when it comes to safety, it's honestly criminal how little they get paid. And, you know, Micah Hyde is with Poyer on this where it's crazy how little they get paid. But when it comes to the position as a whole, they're right there. I mean, I've looked it up and I want to say Poyer and Hyde are the most cash in hand this season with safety, but it's like a hundred K and 200 K around there. I don't know which one's which, but it's, it's, it's ridiculous numbers. They're just criminally low. It's so bad. It's awful. And when you have all pro talents such as Hyde and in this case, Poyer, you know, right now in their career as well. And at the age that they're at, Poyer will be 30 or 31 come the season time. He's already 31. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He's already 31. All right. I I knew it was around there. I just didn't know when, obviously, but he he wants to cash in when he can. And I'm not going to blame him. He's, he's playing the best football he has ever played in his life. And he now has an opportunity in front of him to get paid. Why shouldn't he now? For the bills, that might be difficult. You had to pay, obviously, Josh Allen a, a year ago. Now you had to extend Diggs and give him a little bit of more money, although that did help the cap situation. Obviously, it's still, at the end of the day, more money. Um, there's going to be people to pay coming up at Oliver, Dawson Knox, so on and so forth. It will be difficult to pay at 31, uh, and then at that point, 32-year-old safety, whatever amount of money. I would be fascinated to know what the number is. I would love to know that. I would love to know what they kind of view, where both sides view themselves at, because I think, I mean, it was, I believe Rosenhaus even came out with a statement on Poyer's behalf saying he wants to retire a bill. It's not like he wants to leave if he doesn't get paid. He just, I mean, he just wants to get paid what he feels he is due. And that's all good on him. Every player deserves every dollar they can get but you know i would love to know where the numbers lie when it comes to both sides and if a deal could even be had like if they are so far off right now that that's why he brought in rosenhaus to see if that'll change things i don't think that would i'm pretty sure bean has kind of been that guy that if if you're that far off on a number he's he's probably not going to meet your need unless you're willing to come back down from that But uh, yeah, it's an interesting situation. I think Rosenhaus is a big name that definitely all of a sudden, like to me, it puts at least discussions with him above the Knox discussions. I'll put it that way. All of a sudden he becomes kind of right underneath Eddie O where it's like, okay, you got to figure out where you stand with him when it comes to a number and get that figured out quick because Rosenhaus is going to step in here and try to squeeze every dollar out of it. And if not do whatever he can, that's best for his client whether that's on that team or somewhere else. And that's kind of where I sit with that, where it's like, okay, this lit lit a fire under their ass. And then what can we do about it? But I would love to know where those numbers are as well.
0: So a couple of things. One, Ed Oliver does have the fifth year option that the team is expected to pick up. So he has really no risk of leaving after this year. And I think given that, I'd like to revise my order that we did last week where Dawson Knox and Poyer are pending free agents. I think Ed Oliver of those three is the most important to the future of the bills. But as far as who to get contracts done for now, I think I'd slide Knox ahead of him. Probably Poyer also. I want to correct myself. I tried to correct you and say he's 31 now. He actually is 30. The reason I thought he was 31 now is because when we did our draft research for defensive and offensive players, I was looking at what their ages would be at the time of the draft. Jordan Poyer has a birthday in two weeks couple of days before the draft. So he turns 31 in a couple of weeks. He's essentially 31, but he is still 30. Um okay, so there's a few different angles I want to go with this. One, the Rachel Bush situation, <clears throat> I for I don't understand. I know it's never gonna stop, but I've never understood why fans want to argue with players and players' wives on Twitter. I I To me, I am not a tag a player kind of person. Like if Stefan Diggs comes out and asks a funny question like, you know, do you like crunchy or, you know, I don't know, crunchy or creamy peanut butter? Yeah, I might respond to that tweet with whatever I like, but I'm not going out there being like, man, I love Stefan Diggs and tagging him. So that's just not my style. So Rachel Bush, just, you know, given what she does and given, you know, the kind of content she puts out there, she is a lightning rod. And I'm sure just given, you know, who she is, she gets all kinds of attention online and some of it you probably wouldn't even want to see. Um, but, you know, I do draw the line at where I saw some of her tweets where she's like, I don't understand why strangers want to speak on things that they have no idea about. Um, it's none of your business what's going on with Jordan Player, stuff like that. And maybe she didn't say none of your business, but it was essentially... Fans, you don't know what you're talking about. Don't come at me with this. And that's where I just want to say, Rachel, you tweeted it out. Twitter is basically a universal message board that everybody has access to. So when you tweet it out, you know that there is a segment of fans that are going to instantaneously tweet back at you if they think anything you said is anything negative about the Bills. You know that segment is out there and they're going to do that. So to me, it almost just comes off as immature, or unrealistic when you tweet it out and then five minutes later, you're complaining about the attention you're getting on the tweet. It, it, to me, it's just, if you don't want it, turn off the replies or only let people that you follow reply or don't tweet it out. That's kind of where I'm at. I I get kind of tired of the whole victimization of themselves. And I I, I don't want to put poyer in with that. V- Rachel Bush is definitely way more active on Twitter, but I don't know. It it gets a little tiring sometimes, um, the way that she kind of puts herself against the fan base on Twitter, and then she'll walk it back or delete tweets. I don't know the whole thing. I stay out of it, and I, I'm gonna raise my hand. Like I've never tweeted at Rachel Bush except for one time, and I actually had a good interaction with her because um, she posted something about um, you know, hey, tell me something that's going on that's good in your life today. And it just so happened to be the day that when my son, my wife was pregnant with my son, um, she, my wife's a high risk pregnancy and there were some scares there and I don't want to get into all that, but I basically was in a really good mood because we had just found out that um, his checkup was perfect and he was in perfect health. And I just shared that. And I was like, Hey, we're a high risk pregnancy. And we, we got really good news today. Fingers crossed, yada, yada, yada. And she responded to me and she said, you know, hey, praying for you and your wife for a health, happy and healthy wife and baby. And, you know, like that was five seconds of her life. I, I doubt she re- remembers that. I would almost guarantee she doesn't remember it. But when you're going through a ser- stressful situation and somebody like that takes even five seconds to respond to you, it means something. So for that, I've always, you know, had respect for her, even though it's probably something that there's no chance she remembers. To me, it meant something. So I don't want to sound like a hypocrite, but I, I find the whole us Against Them, like Bill's Mafia Stop Responding on Players' Contracts. You brought the topic up. Probably not the best forum to do it, particularly on Twitter. It never goes well on Twitter. Twitter is the, the house of the um, outspoken minority, which is basically 5 to 10% of the fan base who will just angry tweet at you all of their thoughts. But because they're so angry and they're so outspoken, it clouds your judgment of what the fan base does because the other 90% who don't tweet at players, you don't get their positive energy. You only get the, the energy from the people that are going to go out of their way to tweet at players and players' wives. And that's why I just think the whole situation just leads to negativity. So I would like to see that part go away. Now, with, as far as Jordan Poyer goes, I have really mixed reviews. And I think if I had to choose today, I would say I don't necessarily want the Bills to extend him. Because he is going to be 31 when the season starts. He's going to be 32 before next season starts. And we already have big money locked up in Von Miller, who is on the wrong side of 30. You have two years left with Micah Hyde, who's on the wrong side of 30. You have big money locked up in Trey White, who is coming off of a torn ACL. And you don't know how he's going to recover from that. And quite honestly, with Ed Oliver and Tremaine Edmonds' contracts coming up, I am just nervous about all of these high dollar contracts on defense, particularly with so many of them to players being on the wrong side of 30. And I know it's a cold hearted way of looking at it because Jordan Poyer is very much one of the faces of this bills turnaround since 2017. He and Micah Hyde are right there along with Sean McDermott, as far as players who have been at the forefront of this. But what I don't want to do is, Pay somebody for what they've done. If you let Jordan Poyer go after next year, and he's great for the next three years for just pick a random team for the Minnesota Vikings, he goes there, he's still playing like an all pro. What have you lost? You haven't lost any money, but you, you know, a player that you really like is great for another team. Yeah, that's going to sting. But the counterside of it is what if you pay Jordan Poyer like an elite safety And then 32 starts looking like what a lot of other 32-year-olds look like in in the NFL. He starts losing a step. And then by the time he's 33, he's not playing at that high, high level. I don't want to bet against Jordan Poyer, but what I I do want to know is Father Time is undefeated. And I know that the Patriots, they built a dynasty, yes, off of Tom Brady. We all get that. But Bill Belichick was cold-hearted with his roster decisions. Lawyer Malloy, Ty Law, Richard Seymour players who were legendary in New England, Willie McGinnis, they got shown the door. Randy Moss shown the door because he's like, hey, our our algorithm says that you're at this age and your cliff is coming. And he wasn't always right. But if I just don't see the rush to get it done right now, and if he's going to be upset, he's going to be upset. But the other part of this is, and I hate to say this because it's kind of like saying the, the quiet part out loud. The Jordan poyer and Micah Hyde safety combo is fantastic. And the, the defensive numbers were fantastic last year. But they couldn't stop the Chiefs two years or in a row in the playoffs. Hyde and Poyer were out there for the last touchdown drive, the 13 seconds drive, and then overtime where it essentially felt like when are the Chiefs going to score, not if they're going to score. Um, you know, when they played the Buccaneers, it was basically drops by the Bucs. It felt like the Bucs could have scored every single drive. So I'm not at all saying that Jordan Boyer is overrated or Micah Hyde's overrated, anything like that. I love these guys. What I'm saying is with the NFL in 2022, I don't necessarily want to invest all that money on defense. It's an offensive game and Jordan Poyer could get injured tomorrow and miss the entire season. And the Bills' betting odds would not go down a single point. We saw that with Trey White. Trey White's an excellent cornerback. He got injured on Thanksgiving. The betting odds didn't go down at all. It's an offensive game. The Bills are a Super Bowl contender because of what they are on offense. And I don't need to bog down this team with high dollar contracts on defense. And unfortunately, I'm not in a rush to extend Jordan Poyer. If he still plays at a high level this year, you have the franchise tag option if you want to. You could extend him after that. But the one year left on his deal really works for me. That's where I'm at. I'm not in a rush to get it done, but I do think they will get it done. Luca, I know I just said a lot, so I'll just kind of kick it back to you and see if you have any thoughts on that huge word salad I just threw at you.
1: Yeah, I'll wrap it up. But um, yeah, I'm with you overall. You never. I think the best point you brought up, and this is what I want to kind of wrap up with, is you never pay a person just solely for what they did you still have to pay them because what you are paying them is for everything you expect of them in the future. When you get hired for your job, they're paying you for what they expect you to give them. The same goes for contract extensions or, you know, giving a player a contract in the NFL. You're paying them for what you want them to contribute afterwards. Now I want to follow that up with, I think this is where we might separate ourselves. And I know I brought up this point I'm a little more willing to pay a guy like Poyer to keep him around the building. I think the value of a guy such as Poyer, and this goes for Hyde as well, because they're such McDermott guys, because they're such, they are the culture and they're almost the staples of this defense and what they've been building all these years. They really kind of feel that way. I mean, I feel like I'm not the only one that thinks that. They're the two heads to the giant. That is this defense. Yes, the production and everything like that might not be on the field anymore, but you really want a guy like him still sitting there kind of bringing in the next gen, bringing in all the new talent and getting them up to speed and teaching them the little intricacies that is this defense and what to do going forward so that hopefully it can be smooth when you have to move beyond him. Whereas if you just let them walk, you you might have a little bit of a learning curve there where you see some drop off. Yes, this is an offensive game. That is where I want to put my money as well. But also, I still want to be comfortable with my defense. It's really nice knowing that your defense is not going to get blown up. They did get blown up against the Chiefs, but everyone gets blown up by the Chiefs. Let's be honest. I mean, the the LA Chargers are the only ones to go into Kansas City and really put on a defensive show. I have, I'm trying to think of anyone else, and I can't. This past season the Chargers did and they really shut down the Chiefs in Arrowhead. But other than that, no one does it. Well, and that's, so that's, just to wrap that up, so like the the Bengals and the Bills even in their Sunday night
0: game early in the year, they both held the Chiefs down, but it really it was way more about Mahomes just having an off night. Like, even the Bills game turned on a pass that bounced off Tyree Kill's hands and Micah Hyde returned for a touchdown.
1: Anyway, I'm yeah. sorry to, mean to interrupt you. No, no, no. You're absolutely right, though. You're, it's more about the Chiefs being off than it was the Bills really shutting them down. I fully agree with that point. But, yes, you want to put your money in the offense because the offense, in a weird way, it, it, defense still kind of wins championships, that old adage, that old saying. But the offense is what gets you there. I mean, the offense is what in today's NFL, that's where you want to put your money because that's, what's going to get you to the point of winning a championship. It's just your defense probably has to show up in the big game to kind of seal the deal. We'll call it. And the Rams are a perfect example of that. Their offense was explosive. It really got them out to a hot start during the season. They went through a lull right in the middle of the year last year. They figured it out a little bit at the end. And then once they got to the playoffs, their offense was humming again. They absolutely ran right over the Cardinals. They uh, went to Tampa and outscored them like crazy. And then uh, I'm trying to think NFC Championship. Oh yeah, the Niners. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, Jimmy. Yeah, I'm just trying to ignore that game because that was just awful. I did I block out that whole weekend to be honest. Um, and then Super Bowl. Big same. The Super Bowl. I mean, the offense started out good, if I remember correctly, for the Rams. Then they kind of hit a lull. They, they, you know, the defense keeps them in it, which is their job, and that's how you win a championship. Your defense keeps you in it, and then boom, the offense kind of sealed the deal at the end. And I think that's the modern NFL. I think that's the world we find ourselves in. So from that point, bringing it all the way back to this, yes, I get not wanting to give Poyer his money, and that's I think where my point of I want to know where the numbers are. I kind of want to hear what they are because if you know Poyer's out there asking for like a Landon Collins deal, well, you're absolutely crazy and go. You know, have fun wherever else you're going to f- possibly get that money. You know, Jamal Adams, the, whatever those contracts you're looking at, it's like, see you later. I'm sorry, you're not going to get that money, not from here.
0: Well, he's, I, he's a better player than those guys. You're just speaking to the absolute lunacy of those
1: contracts. Exactly. I, the, those contracts are bonkers. I have them up in front of me. I mean, to think that Jamal Adams' AAV is $17.6 million is just asinine. I mean, Buda Baker's $3 million under that, and I think it's pretty clear as day that Buddha Baker is better than Jamal Adams. Now you're bringing a guy like Hoyer into the equation who has had, a, honestly, a better two past two years than both of those players, as good as those players may seem to others, and he has made an absolute fraction to those guys. So, yes, he wants to get his money now because he didn't get it before. You don't pay people for what they did. You want to pay them for what you get. But if you have to kind of take what we'll call a luxury tax to keep them in the building and keep them around, and it's not outrageous, you know, say the number is only a couple mil off, right? And it's nothing crazy. I'm for it. I'm okay with it. I I get it. Because that's where you can kind of justify, yeah, we're paying you for the cheapness that was your contract when we got your good years. We want to keep you around as almost a player coach now. You, you We're probably still going to be using him. But. At the same time, he's going to be there for his knowledge, just as much of his skill set. And that's kind of where I'll wrap up with that. Like, I'm, I'm with you with not paying it f- because you want to pay the offense at the end of the day. This is an offensive league, but I'm a little away from you in the sense of I'm willing to pay a luxury tax to keep Boyer in the, Boyer in the building as long as it's somewhat reasonable.
0: What it comes down to for me is we both know Jordan Boyer as a chip on the shoulder guy. Like he didn't get drafted high. He wasn't thought of very highly when he went into free agency and came to the Bills. He was coming off of an injury. He's been a Pro Bowl snub almost his entire time with the Bills. He finally made All-Pro this year, but still didn't even make the Pro Bowl. So it wouldn't shock me if for Poyer, and this is not a negative, his motivation is all about that AAV, where he wants to be up there in that 16, 17 million dollar a year range. But when you look under the hood of the contract, it's really a 12 million APY with, um, you know, fluff on the end to get that average up very similar to that Von Miller deal where it comes across the ticker at six for 120. And you're just like, oh my God, Von Miller cashed in. And then you look at it and it's three years, 17 a year, still good money, but not the contract that we we saw on ESPN. It wouldn't surprise me if that's what was driving Poyer, just that respect, that recognition. That's a big thing for competitors, especially someone like Poyer who's been overlooked a lot in his career. But the Rosenhaus factor is real. I, I just don't know if Rosenhaus and Poyer are motivated by fluff or if they want true nuts and bolts money. It'll be interesting to see it play out. I think the Bills will want to keep Poyer. But the longer this drags out, um, it does make you wonder if there's going to be a situation where he could be holding out in camp. Time will tell. We have plenty of time to get into all that. But one last piece of Bills news this week. Luca, a couple days ago, the Bills brought back Bobby Hart. Now, mm. the memes and GIFs on Twitter were fantastic because it seemed like well, almost... You you can never get all of one fan base to agree on something. It sure felt like all of Bill's mafia came together and said, this is a bad idea. And, you know, I don't think this has to mean anything. You have to bring 90 guys to camp. And if they want to bring Bobby Hart to camp, let him compete for a job. Fine. But where I'm apprehensive on this is we talked about this two weeks ago on our offensive podcast. And we said there is a need on this team for a veteran tackle because when we're looking at some of these injuries that can happen to the Bills that could really tank the season, tackle both Dawkins and Brown just stuck out like a sore thumb as one of those injuries. And right now, Tommy Doyle is slated to be the backup tackle on this team. And the last time we saw Tommy Doyle in meaningful tackle action He was getting his doors blown off by Shaq Lawson against the Jets. Now, he's had a year to develop. He's a fantastic athlete. Maybe they believe in Tommy Doyle. But what I am concerned about, Luca, is that they feel that Bobby Hart checks that box for that veteran to compete with Tommy Doyle for the swing tackle. And that's not enough for me. I'm not in the building. Nobody asks what I think. But for a team that's ready to compete for a Super Bowl, You're talking about a Spencer Brown or a Deion Dawkins serious injury away from either unproven Tommy Doyle or very proven Bobby Hart playing meaningful snaps. Look, we still have seven rounds of a draft to go through, so it's not time to panic yet, but I was not overly excited to see Bobby Hart. It was almost, give me anybody but Bobby Hart. Give me Joe Veteran X from Random Team Y, and let's just see if he can work out because I feel like... I know they say bird in hand is better than however that saying goes. We know what Bobby Hart is, and it's not suitable to be taking meaningful snaps in an NFL game. So I was a little bit disappointed, but I'm not freaking out like the rest of uh, Twitter that I saw. How did you feel about Bobby Hart?
1: I'm not going to give this one uh, too much time. I'm going to let this one slide real quick. Yeah, I I don't want to see. They must love him as a person. They must absolutely love him as a person.
0: Or he's got pictures
1: on somebody. Yeah. Right, or he's blackmailing somebody right. because he keeps coming into this building and I don't know how. You have enough tape on him <laughs> to know that you I I you don't want him on the field regularly, God forbid, if at all. But
0: he's a modern-day uh, Josh Reed. He never yeah. produces but he still gets a job.
1: Yeah. I mean, hey, if he's a great person and they got to hit the 90 mark to come into camp and you want him around for whatever unknown reason, cool. That's awesome perfect just please don't let it be the solution to your veteran tackle as you brought up please don't let this be that thing I don't think it will be personally I think it's just to hit the numbers it's a friendly face it's one that's been in the building plenty of times he's gonna he knows everybody and in in a weird way there's just a nice comfort to that You, you you know you don't have to you know, hold his hand through the building, hold his hand through the offseason program. What's expected of you?
0: Oh, he'll do plenty of holding on
1: his own. Hey, (laughs) but uh, yeah, I I don't think this is anything that's of note when it comes to the, uh, you know, at come cut time, he's going to be gone. I would think, Yeah, obviously, we don't know until we know, but I'm not going to give it any more time of day. I don't think this is anything of note other than it's just a name we seem to love to see the Bills bring back in and somehow unify all of us in our distaste with such a signing.
0: It brought us together after a long week of Rachel Bush trying to divide us. So for that, I respect it. But yes, I agree with you. He's probably going to be cut, placed on the practice squad. And there is a break glass in case of emergency. Spencer Brown twists his ankle in Friday's practice elevate him up to get us through a game kind of situation That's some
1: serious panic glass
0: yes that is i mean i don't even know if he could break the glass but we'll have to see and it, you know somebody did say like it's a good thing bobby hart doesn't have twitter because he would hate the reaction it's okay even if he does have twitter it's not like he'd know how to block us oh my goodness just brought it home yeah the dump all right Let's uh let's move on cuz I am excited to mock some mocks with you Luca. What we are going to do tonight is we're going to pull up a couple mock drafts that have been put out by the national media and <clears throat> Luca and I are basically going to pretend like we're watching the draft together and live it out right in front of you our reaction to all of this and what we're going to What would we react to as certain picks come flying off the board? What it means for the Bills? So just imagine Luca and I as two guys just sitting in a a man cave or a sports bar somewhere. We'll do sports bar because that's the whole essence of Bill's Chat. We're just sitting in a sports bar, drinking a couple beers, just watching the draft play out and just sharing comments with ourselves. Are you ready to get this mock the mock going, Luca? Absolutely. I'm excited. All right. We are going to start off with a mock draft that was posted today by Sporting News and it was posted today like I just said I don't know why I felt the need to say that again but there we are and we're going to start off with the Jacksonville Jaguars on the clock and Luca Roger Goodell has come to the mock podium and announced Aiden Hutchinson as the first pick of the draft of the Jacksonville Jaguars and Luca right off the bat we have a trade for number two the Detroit Lions were on the clock but now The New York Giants are on the clock. We have a trade going on in this mock draft. What's happening? The Giants are on the clock. What do you think they're going up for? It has to be like, they're just, I don't understand this from the Giants standpoint. The top is loaded with positions they need. This doesn't make sense. But the Giants come up and they take Evan Neal, offensive tackle from Alabama. They give the Lions a first and a second round pick to move up. Uh, Luca, this, this mock kind of our, this situation does not make a lot of sense to me. Uh, Joe Shane and Brian Dable are trying to build that program up and the Giants have a lot of needs to fill. I don't think they're super anxious about trying to win this year and Evan Neal, great player, but with the Giants having picks at five and seven. It sure feels like one of the big tackles would fall to them if that's what they're trying to do. Sure, we don't know what their board looks like. Maybe there's a gap between Evan Neal and the other two tackles. To me, this this pick doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. Sitting at five and seven, you have to feel comfortable with, as you said, one of the two big tackles falling to them. And for you to go out and trade your f- fifth pick, so the first of your first. And then also a second round pick in this draft to then ensure you get Neil. I guess if you're really in love with a player, you really go out there and get him. But yeah, head scratcher, head scratcher for sure. Um, This is where the whole trading and mocks is an interesting part. But to wrap this up real quick and let you keep going on with this fun, fun bar topic. This would have one if we were at a bar, we would definitely be looking at each other going, uh, what is going on? But uh, hey, they want to shore up the offensive line, and uh, that's their pick, I guess.
0: So the Giants make that move for Neal that puts Houston on the clock, and they take the first defensive end or the second defensive end off the board. Kayvon Thibodeau comes off the board. The other New York team comes up, and they take Kyle Hamilton, the safety from Notre Dame. And now the Lions had traded down with the Giants, but uh oh, Luca, we have another trade. The New Orleans Saints have traded oh, no. up to five for quarterback Malik Willis of Liberty. That's a shocker. And then at six, the Carolina Panthers, who might have been eyeing that quarterback, now will take a the tackle from North Carolina State. The Giants are on the clock again with cornerback Derek Stingley, one of Lucas favorites in the draft. And then at eight, we have mm-hmm. another trade up. Pittsburgh moves up with I'm sorry. Yeah. Pittsburgh moves up with Atlanta. That's an aggressive trade up for Pittsburgh to take Kenny Pickett quarterback from Pittsburgh. And then at nine, Seattle takes Trevon Walker, a guy that a lot of people think could go much higher in this draft from Georgia. And then at 10 to run up the top 10, the New York Jets get sauce Gardner, surprisingly the second cornerback off the board or 10 pickett, 10 picks in Luca. How you feeling?
1: It's an interesting draft. This would be a crazy scenario to me. This We're already 10 picks in, and I would be shocked if this is actually how the draft day goes. I'm going to go ahead and start and say real quick, uh, I don't think you're going to see as aggressive of moves to get these quarterbacks. Maybe, you know what's weird is maybe the Saints one, for them to then move all the way up to five, that actually kind of would make sense because that would almost justify in a positive way of why they even made the move before the draft with was it Philly to get up a little bit and then they traded away assets for next year's draft right so you'd be justifying that not to get too much into other teams here and stuff like that but you know when it comes to the draft this would be shocking in general as a general spectator as just someone that does not really care about anyone picking in this realm I don't think it'll be as aggressive for these quarterbacks when it comes to the Bills. This would be pretty much be status quo. I I don't think there would be anything up here that would give me any better or worse feeling with sitting at 25 and we'd be just moving right on along, hopefully fast as possible. No one's taking all of their time, but as you and I and everyone else knows, that's not the case.
0: So I will disagree with you slightly. I think this top 10 is going beautiful for the Bills. Two quarterbacks already off the board. Luca mentioned several weeks ago. Every time a quarterback comes off the board, it's a good thing for the bills because it pushes another player down. I don't understand what the mock giants are doing in this draft. Luca, they trade (laughs) up for Evan Neal when they have other needs and there's other good tackles, but you know, mock Joe Shane must know what he's doing. And then they take Derek Stingley over sauce Gardner. So a little bit of a roll of the dice there. We'll see if that comes through. Let's move on to pick 11. Now the Washington commanders that you did mention though, before we get off this, No wide receivers have come off the board yet. That is a big thing for the Bills. Also no interior linemen, and we do have the two cornerbacks. Those are the three positions that we think the Bills are probably going to be targeting the most in this draft, so we're going to keep an eye on that. And as soon as I mention that, the Washington Commanders take the first wide receiver off the board from Ohio State, Chris Olave comes off the board. At 12, the Saints trade up again. For Charles Cross, offensive tackle from Mississippi State. The Saints These Saints are crazy. They are being aggressive. Mm -hmm. Charles Cross, offensive tackle from Mississippi State. The Houston Texans come in at pick 13 with one of our favorites from last week, Andrew Booth, cornerback from Clemson. Our first interior offensive lineman is going to come off the board at pick 14 with Baltimore taking Tyler Lindenbaum. The I'm sorry, Linderbaum, the um, center from Iowa. Philadelphia will take another wide receiver, another one from Ohio State also. Garrett Wilson goes to Philadelphia pick 15. And now Detroit. I wonder if the person that wrote this mock is a Lions fan, because this is going swimmingly for Detroit. Detroit takes Jermaine Johnson after trading back defensive end from Florida State. And then at 17, the Los Angeles Chargers get the big defensive tackle from Georgia, Jordan Davis. And then at 18... Philadelphia takes Nicobe Dean, linebacker from Georgia. 19, we're gonna get our third Georgia player in a row coming off the board as Minnesota is gonna take Devontae Wyatt. And then at 20, he's not from Georgia. I must have typed that wrong, right? And then at 20, Atlanta takes Jamison Williams, the wide receiver from Alabama. So Luca, the first 10 picks went by. We had no receivers come off the board. We're sitting pretty. And then the next 10 picks come off, and it's Alave, Garrett Wilson, Jameson Williams, and then we also get a cornerback coming off the board with Andrew Booth. We see Nicobe Dean, linebacker, come off the board. That's a need we said could be a sneaky need for the Bills. And then Tyler Linderbaum, maybe not the interior position we think the Bills could use, but they definitely could use an interior lineman. Uh, that uh, 11 through 20 was not quite as kind to our Bills as the uh, the first 10
1: picks. Yes and no. I think both of us, when we were talking offensively, back a few weeks ago, we weren't as big fans for the Ohio State wide receivers for certain reasons. And to see them as the only two until what was it—the final pick—we talked, James Jameson Williams. being twenty. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I think that's good. I, I I would say that's a success because now you're leaving the options that at least you and I are still comfortable with come twenty. Because I think this is when once you get to 1920, you know, obviously in this draft, we've already had a bunch of trades. So this is just crazy. But once you're at 20, that's where if, say, the Bills were really interested in a guy like Jamison Williams, maybe they would really start making some calls and seeing if they could flirt and get up there because they feel he's going to be taken sooner rather than later. Um, what I will also add is if Jordan Davis falls to 17 into the chargers, that is not good for the bills. That defense goes from already scary to even more scary. And I am freaking out right now because that I don't want a 340 pound man that can run a sub five on the chargers right now. (laughs) So getting that in the AFC would stink. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think I'm as negative about this. Andrew Booth going to the Texans, I think him being off the board. That would stink when it comes to you know what we discussed as a need for the Bills, the Kobe Dean. Yes, we said is a sneaky need at linebacker, but I mean, you would expect him to be gone, or at least I think we would expect him to be gone. So that's not too much of a surprise. Yeah, and I, I will also finish with, I think this guy might have been a Detroit Lions fan, or at least mm-hmm. has an affinity for the Detroit Lions, because getting Jermaine Johnson the second at sixteen through trades is. Really nice.
0: Yeah, the Lions are just owning draft day. And speaking of Detroit, their former general manager, Matt Millen, would be very proud of the Philadelphia Eagles because they would have taken wide receivers in the first round three years in a row. Jalen Rager, (laughs) Devontae Smith, and now Garrett Wilson. So if only they had taken DK Metcalf and uh, Justin Jefferson, who both fell in their laps and they passed, they probably wouldn't be in this position. But alas, here we are. And yeah, let's move on to pick 21. And Luca, this one's going to be a heartbreaker. The New England Patriots get Trent McDuffie, cornerback from Washington. Uh-huh. And another position we're looking at, Drake London goes to the Green Bay Packers at pick 22 to replace Devontae Adams. Uh, pick 23, your Arizona Cardinals get really good value in David Ojabo, just not really sure how quickly he's going to be able to help out the team with his injury at pick 24. The Dallas Cowboys take the first guard off the board with Kenyon Green and the Buffalo Bills. Luca are on the clock at pick 25. So let's go ahead and pause it right now and talk about what the board looks like. Um, You know, we know the two quarterbacks are off the board, Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett, the wide receivers off the board. There's four of them off the board right now. Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jamison Williams, and Drake London. There are three tackles off the board, Evan Neal, Okwanwu, and uh, Charles Cross, two interior linemen with Linderbaum and Kenyon Green, five edges off the board, Hutchinson, Thibodeau, Walker, Jermaine Johnson, and Ojabo, two defensive tackles, Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt, um, one linebacker, Nicobe Dean, one safety, Kyle Hamilton, and four cornerbacks, Derek Stingley, Sauce Gardner, Andrew Booth, and Trent McDuffie. To me, the biggest thing there is four cornerbacks and four wide receivers. So Luca, we're sitting at this bar, we're drinking a beer, the bills are on the clock. What are you hoping for?
1: I'm not sure what I'm hoping for at this point. The McDuffie pick would definitely be, as you described, a heartbreaker. That's one you sit at 20, come 21, and you're like, man, just slip a couple more. I think I, I don't think there would be a person upset out there with McDuffie at 25, I think that would be a great value at pick 25, regardless if it's an immediate need or a look at the future in general. I think that would be a great thing to have happen. So then him to slide not or to him not to slide and then also be taken by New England kind of a downer. Um, Yeah, I'm not. This would be very interesting. This would this would be I, I wouldn't actually know what to expect from the bills at this point. I think you're sitting there and you see guys like Trevor Penning still on the board and you would have expected him to be gone. So would they even maybe be like, man, that's a, that's a tremendous value of a tackle on there. Now, obviously tackle is not an immediate need or something that's a lot of people would view the bills targeting, but the value in it in itself is like, wow, how do you pass that up? You have still like a Traylon Burke sitting there. You have Devin Lloyd, the linebacker out of Utah, which I think you and I both view Mm -hmm or at least viewed coming into this as a top 15, 17 pick, you know, at least top 20, we'll say. So there's a lot of value, or at least interesting value, we'll call it, still sitting there at 25. So, you know, come 24, you got Kenyon Green, the guard out of Texas A&M taken by the Cowboys. Now it's our turn. I I honestly would be fascinated to see where the Bills would go from here.
0: I think they could go... With a couple of receivers you talked about, I think Traylon Burks would stand out to them very well. Um, Obviously, you and I would be hoping for Christian Watson. I don't know if the Bills would value him that high. The pinning thing is very interesting because that just seems like tremendous value at this point. Uh, I mean, look, I I know people wouldn't be super excited about a guard, but Zion Johnson, to me, is somebody that just Mm, changes your offensive line, and he fits perfectly what I think the Bills want to do. Luca, would you consider a running back here? No, I would not. All right. Well, the pick is in. Let's find out what the mock Buffalo Bills do. And wait a minute. What's that sound? We have another trade. The Buffalo Bills have traded down, Luca, and they have traded with the Detroit Lions, the movers and shakers of this draft. Detroit has come up to take the quarterback of their future, Desmond Ritter, quarterback from Cincinnati, and the Bills, in trading back to pick 32, get pick 32 and also get a late three, So they get a late three to drop back about seven spots. So what's going to be interesting to track over these next few picks is, does anybody come off the board that is going to make the Bills regret trading back? Because a late three is cool, but if it costs you a premier player that you could really come in and help your team, it may not be worth it. Let's see what happens. So right at pick 26, Lucas guy Trevor Penning comes off the board, Northern Iowa offensive tackle. Pick 27, my nephews, Indianapolis Colts, trade up they don't have a first round pick but now they do they trade up with the bucks they give a second and a third to t- t- take Boye Mathé, defensive end now this is weird we'll talk about this in a second uh the Colts take Boye Mathé, and then these next few picks are really going to hurt Luca 28 the Green Bay Packers take Jahan Dotson wide receiver 29 the Chiefs take Traylon Burks wide receiver 30 the Chiefs again take Devin Lloyd linebacker mm-hmm. out of Utah and at pick 31 The Giants continue their head-scratching draft in this mock, trade up to pick 31, give up a second and a fourth to take George Karlaftis, defensive end from Purdue, and that leaves the Bills on the clock at pick 32. Uh, Really quick, I want to circle back on that Indianapolis point. They traded for Yannick and Dockway. They drafted, much like the Bills last year, defensive end in the first and second round uh, it'd be wild to me if they traded back into the first round for another defensive end. I, I would say I don't see that happening. But this is not about the Colts. This is about the Bills. Let's go through what has happened since the Bills uh, had a chance to pick at 25. Um, now, three quarterbacks are off the board, add Ritter to that group. Dotson and Burks join Alave, Wilson, Williams in London. So now six wide receivers are off the board. Penning goes at offensive tackle. Uh, Maffe and Karlaftis add to the defensive ends that have come off the boards. And now seven of those guys are gone. And then Devin Lloyd joins Nicobe Dean at linebacker. So at this point, some of the names we talked about before, we're both rolling out running back. I assume that holds true. We have Christian Watson at wide receiver. Um, there's obviously some other receivers in there we could consider, um, at cornerback. Is there anything at cornerback you like
1: here, Luca? Um, there's a couple guys. I think there's a, I mean, there's the Tariq woolen, you know, I believe you were the one that brought him up last week. Just yeah. a freak of a specimen. He's there. I think a kayir Elam has not been picked yet. So he's there. I mean, there's definitely a few guys. There's a few guys that are there available, but, um, I don't know where, we're, where you're going to necessarily go with the, uh, how you're discussing things, but, there's almost enough value at corner now, sitting at 32, where that may not be the position I'm looking at at 32, because you would almost think, okay, you're sitting there at 32, you're the last pick of today's draft, so everyone's going to go home after you pick and reevaluate where everything is, and everyone's going to see that there's a bunch of corners sitting there. There's a there's a bunch of like we'll call it the next block of corners now, and maybe on friday you make the move up a little bit say one or two starts going you make the move to maybe get one if you think then they won't be there by the point you pick later in the second round but there's enough there where you might be able to still do something especially after acquiring that late third i think it was so maybe you can flirt around with the idea of sitting on corner for now not being too aggressive and taking a guy like a uh a wide receiver that had a 10 0 perfect athletic score and is a freak of nature. And uh, I'm about to totally blank on his name. Cause I did blank on his name. Wow. I can't believe I just did that. Um, but yeah, maybe you flirt with a wide receiver We're because in. thank you. So, uh, there's six wide receivers. You, I believe you said are now off. Correct.
0: Six. Correct. Let me pull up my notes just to make sure that it's, um, trying to move over to see now because I have the description for who the bills take and it is not somebody that we have talked about. Yes.
1: Six wide receivers are off the board. So in this scenario, and obviously we're just talking about a mock here in this scenario, I would almost be sitting at the bar going, yeah, I want them to take a wide receiver here now. I, and I know last week I was like, take a dang corner. Right. But things change. And all of a sudden you traded back. You, 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 took a little bit extra assets. You didn't see a single uh, corner taken in that time. And you saw two wide receivers taken in that time between 25 and 32. And now you're like, "Uh, a wide receiver we might like on day two is not going to be there anymore, but a corner we like might be there on day two. So it changes where you think you're going to get your value. And because of that, that's probably where I'm leaning at this point, but I'll let you take it from here.
0: And you mentioned a great point about pick 32 and the bills could trade down because this is the last pick that has the fifth year option after that. No other options for the second round and beyond. Um, You know, still some of the names we talked about are out there. Zion Johnson. Another guy I out there is Dexton Hill. Very high on him. Went into why I think he'd be a great fit for the bills last week. Um, But they're in a tricky spot here because like you mentioned with receiver. Now, if you wait, you risk missing out because Uh, You could take a Sky Moore or a Christian Watson here, but there's no guarantee they fall to the end of the second round now. So I think I would go receiver, but that is not what the Buffalo Bills do in this exercise. Mm -hmm. With the 32nd pick, the Buffalo Bills select Kyler Gordon, cornerback from Washington. He's 5'11", 194 pounds, and here's what the write-up in the mock says. The Bills can rebound nicely after missing out on McDuffie to the Patriots by still landing a cornerback that they like to replace and upgrade from Levi Wallace opposite Trey white. He has size physicality and the aggressiveness to please Sean McDermott and defensive coordinator, Leslie Frazier as a playmaking number two. Now, Luca, I like some of the other ideas better at cornerback, particularly the more athletic ones that we talked about, like with woolen. Uh, But this pick to me would make sense. I definitely, it would be a lot more palatable uh, to take him with a trade down scenario because I do think he's more of a second round talent. But the fact that we are staring in the face of right now, not knowing if Cam Lewis is going to have to start opening day, given if uh, Trey White is out, I I think we both endorse that the Bills could use an upgrade here at cornerback. And I think that's what they're getting here with, Kyler Gordon, I would assume he would outrank Dane Jackson coming in, even though I'm sure they would compete. So quick thoughts on Kyler Gordon before we move on to
1: our second mock draft. I wouldn't be upset with it. Now, being the last pick in the first round, I just want to keep emphasizing first round. You have this guy for essentially five years potentially, but you're paying him first round money to do so. Um, And I think I'm with you on it where I say, this is probably a second round guy to me. So when you look at that, it seems like, well, that's not great value then, but I wouldn't be upset with it. I I would not be upset with it. I think the, the draft first day of the draft or first night of the draft would end. I would kind of be like, okay, they took a corner. I, I told you, I wanted them to take a corner and they took a corner. If that's the corner they liked and they got him where they thought they needed to get him, I'm okay with it. I trust the process. I think that's the first time we've said that on this podcast since starting. I trust it. I trust Bean. I trust McDermott. I trust that they know what they want. And I actually would give myself a little bit of a pat on the back because those January notes for my draft notes from when it was like college just wrapped up. Who do I like? Let me write up some stuff on him. I did have Kyler Gordon in those notes. I liked him. I didn't have McDuffie in those notes. Now I knew who he obviously McDuffie was as well. It was just Kyler Gordon was that name that popped out a little bit more to me personally, just being like, wow, I don't see anyone really talking about him because there's a guy opposite of him that's blowing it up. But I, I like him. I think he's good. I don't think he, yeah, I I think uh, I would like some of those other guys that already got taken. Booth Jr. and McDuffie are probably the two that I would be a little more bummed about that had a realistic chance of being there. But um, yeah, can't be upset with it. They took a corner. I got mad. I wanted them to take a corner. They did it. Maybe the value wasn't as great there. I think the Zion Johnson point that you keep bringing into this, that is a great point. He is definitely a guard that could change things. So that would also be a guard, even though I, I don't like those. I i wouldn't like it personally. I could understand it, and I could get behind it. Um, But, yeah, I just taking a corner. I, I wouldn't be mad with it. At the end of the first round, it, it would be cool. It. Being pick 32, even though we didn't get it, you know, by earning it, would still be kind of cool. It would almost be like a nice foreshadowing and we took a corner. How cool is that?
0: It's a solid pick. You know, it checks the box of the biggest need that I think we all agree on this team. And it's a player that makes sense in that range. I think a lot of mocks have him going in that 25 to 40 range, probably more so on the 40 end of that. But, you know, we'll take it. And, uh, you know, Zion Johnson, maybe he's a guy that could play swing tackle if he isn't on the field right away in year one if you can't beat out Ryan Bates or Roger Saffold. So something to consider there, something we talked about earlier. But Luca, I think we got time for one more mock here. Do you have a preference on either Draft Network or the Ringer? Do you, I'll, I'll let you be our guide here as we go into this imaginary mock draft land. I think
1: I would love to discuss... Mm, I think I would love to discuss the Draft Network and Joe Marino's. It's a little bit older, but I think it brings up some very good picks. And I think it's, obviously, I don't believe that he did any trades. I think the trading of this mock kind of threw me off a little bit. It did. I'm not used to mocks, having a lot of trades. I don't like theorizing trades. That's a weird concept to me. Like, how are you supposed to mock it? Did you hear it through the grapevine, or you just really have this sense that, the you know, oh, the the Lions are going to be trading and also be really good at it too? Come on. What, what are we doing? The Lions are the Lions for a reason. Can we, can <laughs> the we Lions all agree are here? definitely the Lions.
0: Well, <laughs> let's do this <laughs> yeah. because I think we might have a the Lions or the Lions moment in this mock. So Joe Marino, if you're not familiar with him, which, by the way, if you're a Bills fan, familiarize yourself with Joe Marino. He's the host of Locked on Bills. He works for the Draft Network. He does tremendous job on the Bills, not only getting you ready for the draft, but, you know, day to day. Just keeping you up to date on all things Buffalo Bills. Cannot recommend his podcast and his content enough. So let's get into it. This is a no-trade mock draft, which I think is better for this kind of exercise. Uh, much like the last draft, the Jaguars started off with Aiden Hutchinson. At pick two, the Detroit Lions go swinging big for a quarterback. They take Malik Willis, quarterback out of Liberty. Pick three, is. the Texans take Edge Travon Walker. At pick four, the Jets take Kayvon Thibodeau, edge out of Oregon. Pick five, the Giants take Akeem Kwanu, offensive tackle out of NC State. Pick six, another quarterback comes off the board as the Panthers take Kenny Pickett, quarterback out of Pittsburgh. Pick seven, the Giants get Jermaine Johnson, edge out of Florida State. Uh, Pick eight, the Falcons take the third quarterback in this draft. Desmond Ritter, quarterback out of Cincinnati at pick nine, Luca, Evan Neal, a guy who at one point in time was talked about as the potential top pick in this draft falls all the way down to nine to the Seahawks. And then at pick 10, we have another offensive tackle coming off the board to the Jets, Charles Cross out of Mississippi State. So that's a look at the top 10. What stands out to you so far?
1: This is a perfect scenario for the top 10 for the bills. This, this would be the one that I'm like, just uh, what is it? Um, I'm trying to think of the meme chef's kiss. I mean, chef's kiss. Yes, absolutely. But there's, there's a scene in uh, what's the movie I'm thinking of right now. Anger management. When uh, uh, Jack Nicholson is just, like grinning on his face with a big smile, just like a slow nod. Like this is that where I'm sitting there just loving it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I will say Lions taking Malik Willis, just going to give a slight nod to it. I love taking him. If you're going to do quarterback, obviously I don't want to get too much into this because we're a bills podcast here, but taking him over Pickett and Ritter. Now I like Ritter a little bit. He's kind of He's been kind of stroking me the right way when it comes to watching his Whoa. stuff, and I, I kind of like it. Yeah. Interesting didn't mean word it like in that. Yep. But, yeah. but uh, I like Malik Willis's upside the most. I think he would be the right pick. Taking him at two, a little sus, but uh, overall, going back to a Bills stance, couldn't be better. This is perfection when it comes to everything is still there after 10 picks, and I couldn't love it even, any more than it possibly could be.
0: And I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that three quarterbacks go in the top 10. We know teams will overdraft quarterbacks. It is the most important position in the sport, and these teams are picking in the top 10 for a reason. And in the case of the Lions, the Panthers, and the Falcons, they are picking in the top 10, not the Falcons, but the other two, because they don't have a quarterback. And then the Falcons... They, the only thing about their team that made sense last week was their our last year was their quarterback, and now he's gone, and they are staring the face of starting Marcus Mariota. So it makes sense that they would try to get their guy. And if you don't take him in the first round, good luck getting somebody in the second round. So I wouldn't be shocked if we see three or four quarterbacks come off the board before the Bills pick. I might be a little stunned if we get three in the top ten, but I don't, I don't think it's all out of the realm of possibility. So let's move on to pick 11. The Washington Commanders take Kyle Hamilton, who at one point in time was talked about as a top five pick in the draft. Um, Speaking of guys talked about as top five picks in the draft, the Minnesota Vikings get Sauce Gardner as the first cornerback comes off the board. At 13, the Houston Texans take Trevor Penning, offensive tackle out of Northern Iowa. At 14, Lucas Hart is broken as the Ravens take Derek Stingley out of LSU. 15, the Eagles... Love their wide receivers, and they take wide receiver Garrett Wilson out of Ohio State. Uh, the Eagles then back it up with Devontae Wyatt, defensive lineman out of Georgia. And then Luca, again, breaking your heart. The Chargers get Jordan Davis. He falls in their lap again. This is starting to feel like a trend and maybe something we should start bracing for. At 18, the New Orleans Saints take wide receiver Drake London. This has been a very uh, bad 10 picks here for the Bills. Um, And it continues here at pick 19 as the Eagles take Andrew Booth, cornerback from Clemson. And now I'm going to cry as the Steelers at pick 20 take Daxton Hill, safety from Michigan. So all of the good graces and the chef's kisses that we got from the first 10 picks, they are out the window, Luca, because we are in a bad
1: mood sitting here in the sports bar now. Yeah, of course knowing the draft we were about to read, I might've been setting it up, but with all of that grinning and nodding and how great I felt in those top 10, it just came crashing down on us and me particularly. And you as well, I think the 20 being Daxton Hill is just like a, you know, as you brought it up, Jordan Davis going to the chargers would crush me. Just being like, please don't give him that. Derek Stingley being off the board. Although, let, let me preface, I don't expect Stingley to be there at 25. I, I think I mentioned that last week. It would shock me. But if he's there, oh. But, anyways, he would be gone and I would be crushed. And then all of a sudden, 20 comes around. And, and you know, it's, it's almost like that when you're in a room full of friends and, like, you'd be that one friend just going, laughing a little bit, grinning a little bit, just at the enjoyment of my suffering. I'd be like, oh, Daxon Hill's gone now. And it's just like a ha. It's like we we all need to suffer together here because yeah the next ten picks eleven through twenty was just oh not a good run for the Bills and also would say Ahmad Garner being there at twelve for the Vikings you want to talk about the craziest amount of value at your pick just falling in your lap holy crap Um, but yeah just overall not a great ten for the Bills not one bit. The way that played out was
0: eerily similar to how I felt last year watching the draft play out. Because I'll raise my hand and say I was on team running back last year. I had given up on Devin Singletary, given up on Zach Moss, and I really felt like remember the Bills were picking thirtieth, so it wasn't like they were you know even twenty five this year, but they were basically their first round pick was almost like a second round pick, and I really felt like um, I had seen the Bills just not be able to run the ball no matter what kind of looks they got. And I was like, I would be good with Najee Harris or Travis Etienne. I really started falling in love with the idea of what I thought Travis Etienne could bring to the offense. And then there was a cornerback, Greg Newsom, that I loved. And I also loved Caleb Farley, the cornerback that went to Virginia Tech. And it was the Bills sitting there at pick 30. At 22 goes Caleb Farley. 24 goes Najee Harris. 25, Travis Etienne. 26, Greg Newsom, And then the Bills sit there at pick 30 and get Greg Rousseau, And for the longest time, it felt like, man, Harris and ETN are still there. And they both went before the Bills pick. So that's what that would feel like here with this draft network. So let's move on as more heartbreak is around the corner, Luca. At pick 21, the New England Patriots take our draft really? crush, Jameson Williams, as we are now ordering more and more beer, hoping that um, they just have an unlimited supply because we are starting to feel depressed wide receivers Can't coming off the board like enough Ugh. speaking of wide receivers coming off the board the Packers go into the wide receiver pool and come out with Ohio State wide receiver Chris Olave and then Lucas Arizona Cardinals decide that they didn't break our hearts enough last year with Rondale Moore now they want to do the same <laughs> with Trent McDuffie and take the cornerback out of Washington And how about them Cowboys at pick 24? They end the streak of heartbreak for the Bills because they take a position we don't really need with defensive end George Karlaftis. I really need to learn how to pronounce his name. I think I'm doing it wrong. But that puts the Bills on the board, Luca, at pick 25. We have seen a run on cornerbacks and receivers and whatever you want to classify Daxton Hill as safety cornerback. It hasn't been pretty. Um, but there's still some meat on the bone for the Bills at those positions. We talked about the depth of those positions. Uh, what do you like for the Bills in this particular spot?
1: Well, I'll start. It's kind of where my mind was with the previous draft where, you know, it was, uh, what was it? A bunch of wide receivers went off the board. So I'm like, oh boy, we better grab one before they're all gone. I think at this point we're like, hey, take a corner because uh, there might be literally zero come day two of the draft this has been an insane run on corners and just secondary in general i mean wide receivers have gone too but all of a sudden you had i'm going back a little bit here so i'm just talking as i go 14 with stingley you had london at or sorry booth at uh 19 you had uh mcduffie at 23 you're like oh wow there's a really condensed run of corners there there were wide receivers as well but I think uh, it was a late push for the wide receivers. So they kind of all just came late. So maybe the shock value in that would be there. But no, I you would have taken note. The Bills, you would have think, you thought, took note of all these corners. And even Daxton Hill, the safety at 20. They would have been like, wow, secondary is getting thin quick. And uh, I mean, the Cardinals... For whatever reason, wanted all these Washington defensive backs in the same backfield for them with Murphy, <laughs> Baker, and now McDuffie. So you're like, what do we do here? Probably take a corner because you still have a Traylon Burks there. You do have Dotson still there. You have a Christian Watson Dotson still there. I mean, there's a there's some wide receivers there that you know you could maybe see later on, maybe not. Obviously, there's people that pick after us, and we wouldn't be picking until later in the second, but. Yeah, this is where you start to think this is the corner draft. This is the one that you're at 25. I I'm, Obviously, this is a non-trade mock, but I don't even think they'd be trading at this point because if, what you see there is very thin. I don't think you're seeing a lot going on. It's a, a lot of corners there might even be viewed as a day two person, but just based on the pace that this has gone at, maybe a lot of those earlier guys that then took their quarterbacks are going to be needing secondary. You never know. I don't know where their minds are at, but yeah, I'm thinking this is where the corner comes along.
0: You know, all along, I have kind of wrapped my head around of Daxton Hill and then Booth being the safety blanket picks for the Bills, where things don't go well, they can still get Booth or Daxton Hill. And now I'm starting to see mock drafts where Booth isn't even around after the middle of the teens. And then Daxton Hill going at pick 19 or 20 in this draft just really shook me. I think you're right. I think the value would screen cornerback. I want to say now, as we get closer and closer to draft day, and this doesn't have to mean anything, you're not seeing Christian Watson go in the first round. Luca, are we getting to a point where we have to accept the fact that one of our biggest draft crushes probably isn't on the Bills' radar with pick 25?
1: Or can we still hold out hope for it? Oh, we can hold out hope for it. We can absolutely hold out hope for it. I think you know, possibly where this pick is going kind of highlights what they do like to look in for people. And, you know, if, if he's sitting there, obviously we don't know what they know, but I, there's still hope I've, I've seen other mocks elsewhere and maybe we'll dive into those later in a little bit here, but I've seen mocks where he's going in the first. So, you know, there's people still view him in a wide variety of places. So I don't think it's crazy to still not, you know, be like, eh, He's a second round guy.
0: All right, Luca. Well, the pick is in. Roger Goodell is going to the mock podium. And with the 25th pick, the Buffalo Bills select Tariq Woolen, cornerback from UTSA. Your boy. You know, I would be so happy right now. I <laughs> I wouldn't have expected it. I'd be sitting there, honestly, be thinking, okay, Traylon Burks makes a lot of sense. Um, Zion Johnson, probably not somebody they would take, but man, I, that would make sense to me. I don't. I don't know if that's the route they're going to go in the first round, given what they have at the guard position going into this year. Um, I honestly, this would not please me. I think the Bills are going to be very high on Brees Hall, and I could see a scenario where enough things happen in the first round, and they're like, you know what? Let's just get our guy at running back. I would love for that to be Kenneth Walker. I have a feeling the Bills are going to prefer Brees Hall, given what he does in the passing game. And just to circle back on that last draft. At pick 32, I would be okay with a running back there. If if they came away with Kenneth Walker at the end of the first round, I would actually be pretty cool with that because it's basically like a second round pick, but you get the fifth round option or fifth year option. But let's talk about this. Tariq Woolen, I would not have thought he was on their radar. Traits for days, 6'4". Flies up the field. Just an outstanding athletic profile, and then a guy that just wants to be great. Let's read what Joe Marino has to say. Perhaps your eyebrows raised at this selection, but if you've paid attention to the types of players the Bills like to invest in, this sounds familiar, Luca. Tariq Woolen is a match. He's new to playing corner, just like Gregory Rousseau was to playing defensive end, Spencer Brown was to playing offensive tackle, and Dawson Knox was to playing tight end when the Bills drafted them. The Bills love toolsy athletes with room to develop and aren't finished products just like Josh Allen, Tremaine Edmonds, and Ed Oliver. The Bills have a massive need at corner, and Woolen fits their archetype in numerous ways. Woolen isn't is a high oh, Let me start that over because there's a big difference between is and isn't here. Woolen is a high character prospect with elite traits and has earned his way onto the NFL's radar. Music to my ears. Take mm. the traits. Bet on the traits. I have seen Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier maximize almost every defensive back they get their hands on from Micah Hyde to Jordan Poyer, Teron Johnson, um, Tredavious White, L- Levi Wallace. You guys know the names. Give them this ball of clay. Look, I don't know. If he's ready to come out of the box and be a starter week one, he might have to be because whatever version he is right now is probably better than Cam Lewis, but I would just love to give McDermott and Frazier this ball of clay to see what they can make happen with it because that could be a lot, a lot of fun. So uh, Luca, I know you're probably just as excited as I am. Uh, What's your reaction sitting here at this bar after this draft looked like it was falling off the rails?
1: It would be really cool excitement because this is definitely, and you brought him to my attention, to be honest. I knew of him, but then when we had our discussions with this podcast and everything, I really dove into the tape here and tried to find stuff on him. And yeah, he is, take the tools. He is that guy. You're like, oh my goodness. He stands out on everything you watch of him. You're like, this guy flies and is huge at a corner position and i'll also say because i know this old take loves to come back up this time of year you know there's the old headline if josh allen succeeds the bills have outsmarted basically all regular humans and in the entirety of math itself well guess what josh allen has succeeded and we have outsmarted everyone so if they took Tariq woolen here they are just trying to outsmart everyone once again because i think him saying it raised eyebrows would definitely be it I bet you we'd get a good reaction out of one of the pundits during the draft. They would be like, I had a third round grade on this guy. Yeah, for sure. Something You know, that would happen, right? But guess what? We take shots on these people and they work out. They are very good with taking those as this says, toolsy athletes and give them the room to develop and mold them into a finished product. And this would be just such a fun product project to put out on the field and have fun with. Oh, my goodness. I would I would be pumped. I'd be very, very pumped because it's just it's not a safe pick, also. And there's something exciting in that. It's not the oh, you just took the safe corner that had a pretty good grade, and you know, he's okay at everything. I've actually said to my friends a lot I hate players that are okay at everything. Yes. I want players that are exceptional at something. I do not want to be okay with everything no, 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 no. I want to excel at something because you just, you need to excel at something. You need to be out of this world at something to really stand out and succeed at the highest of level in everything. And I'm not even just talking football. I'm talking everything. You got to be really good. You got to be in the top of your craft to be really, really good at doing what you do. You can't just be okay at everything. You will never do anything of great success if you're just okay. So yeah, I would be ecstatic if all of a sudden Tariq Woolen was the guy taken at 25. It would just be a really, really cool nod to be like, okay, yeah, they really... I mean... You want to, uh, as this also note points out, they took Greg Rousseau, they took Spencer Brown, they took Dawson Knox, and they really turned them into the players they are. This would just be another great example of them trying to do that with a freak athlete at his position.
0: And you know, Brandon Bean is willing to roll the dice. He rolled the biggest dice on the biggest position in the biggest draft of his career on the biggest ball of clay we've maybe seen at the quarterback position in Josh Allen. And it's paid off. And to your point, look, the Bills are a team that even if they don't draft any players, they just go into the, the season with the roster they have now. They're a Super Bowl contender. They're a betting favorite to win the Super Bowl. You could easily see a situation where the Bills are like, let's just not mess this draft up. Let's, to borrow a baseball fa- uh, phrase, let's just try to hit singles and doubles. Let's draft guys with high floors that are going to come in. And contribute and they're not going to screw it up. They're going to be part of the situation. They're going to be part of the solution. And they're going to be able to be here and do well. You know, those those guys that are good at everything, but not great at anything. No, you're in a position where you can swing for the fences with the Tariq Woolen. And man, if he hits, you're in a scary situation with how much talent you have on mm-hmm. your defense. Yeah, there's probably safer cornerbacks out there that you feel like right out of the right out of the gate could come in and start and give you quality snaps, maybe not develop into a long-term superstar, but is at least a solid baseline starter. And maybe that's what you're shooting for, but no, I want the Bills to swing for the fences. They are in a position with their roster, how it stands, especially at pick 25, gamble, roll the dice, see if you hit another home run, put this guy, Tariq Woolen, in the same DB room with Leslie Frazier Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, Tre'Davious White, Teron Johnson, and he has his best chance to succeed as a Buffalo Bill. I love it. Like of the of the cornerbacks that I think are realistic for the Bills, Booth outranks Woolen for me, just because I think he is similar traits, not the freak freak show athlete that Woolen is, but pretty darn close but definitely more refined and more NFL ready. So he gets the edge to me in that regard while still having that freakish upside. But Woolen is the next guy, like maybe even more exciting than the Daxton Hill idea to me is Woolen. I would be through the moon with this. So Luca, we have done two mock drafts. How are you feeling? Do you, you want to take a look at another one or do you want to get onto our big three game? You want, you have the energy for another mock draft?
1: I can do one more mock draft, but I'll, I'll also just chime in one more thing. Just, it's a fun nod to like Madden. You know what Tariq Woolen reminds me of? He reminds me of that like freak athlete that randomly popped up in like Madden franchise draft. You're like, how the hell would this person actually exist? Right. Like how, how, how is this six foot four guy running a sub four forty? Like that, that doesn't happen in real life. And then of course you look at them in Madden and they have like zero awareness and you got to try to develop them into that DB that you drafted them to be. Well, it literally ju- is happening in real life. And you're just like, wow, Madden really was ahead of the game here. He's the guy you her
0: on defense. He doesn't have any awareness. So you just control him, and he runs around and he's really fast and is great.
1: He's exactly, Taylor. made. Yeah. yeah. I could do one more though. I could definitely do one more and then we could, you know, Yeah, we'll do one more real quick, and then we can move on to the big three, I think. I think that'll be good. All right, the
0: Ringer put out a mock draft today. Let's go through it kind of quickly, and then we'll get down to the Bills pick. There are no trades in this one. Uh, First few picks look very similar to the last one. The Jaguars go Aiden Hutchinson. He has been three for three with the top picks in our drafts here. The Detroit Lions go with Kayvon Thibodeau, edge of Oregon. Uh, Houston Texans go Evan Neal, so three big guys off the board right off the bat. The New York Jets take Sauce Gardner. And then the Giants Ooh. take Akeem aquanu. Carolina Panthers take Kenny Pickett. Two drafts in a row. Kenny Pickett goes to the Panthers at six. The Giants come back and take Trevon Walker. Man, if the Giants took Aquanu and Walker, I th- we know one person in Costa who would be super-duper happy. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons take Jamison Williams at pick eight. Interesting. The Seahawks Whoa. take Jermaine Johnson, defensive end at nine. And then the Jets take... Garrett Wilson, wide receiver out of Ohio State at 10. We only have one cornerback off the board, and we've also, I'm sorry, we only have one quarterback off the board, and we also have seen a cornerback and a wide receiver come off the board in the top 10. Luca, unlike the other two drafts that started off very nicely for the Bills, this one isn't shaping up quite as pretty.
1: Yeah, this one's a little shaky, although I think. You could almost in a way say this is chalk at the same time. I think this mock is one that, you know, people that have studied it a little bit and have sat there as fans, this would kind of feel chalkish, right? You know, you got Hutchinson, then Thibodeau, like it's almost, and then Evan Neal and, and then sauce at four. Like that's really chalk, you know, that's really like, yep, no, no surprising. It's not the best thing for the bills, but at the same time, you're also like, no surprises. I mean, Kenny Pickett's the safest corner or quarterback in this draft. Not that that's necessarily a good thing, but that would be why he'd be the first quarterback taken. I mean, yeah, nothing shocking other than maybe Jamison Williams at eight. That's a, that's a wow. I mean, aggressive for the Falcons when um, you have Mariota throwing, but. um, You know, the thing about Jameson
0: Williams, so I'm, I'm always kind of like next level thinking about how teams could try to tank without tanking. So the Falcons, they have Mariota as their quarterback. Maybe they're eyeing the next draft to get their next oh. quarterback. So what's the best way to do that? You take a player who is absolutely dynamic, who is not going to help you at all this year. And maybe you say, hey, Jameson, you know, let's just go ahead and take the full year to recover from your ACL. It's fine. It, take the year off. You know, maybe this is a perfect fit because talent wise, he belongs in the top 10. But um, health wise might be a little dicey. Let's move on to pick 11. And look, this is interesting. Kyle Hamilton goes to the Washington Commanders at pick 11. There was a point in time where Kyle Hamilton was in the conversation for top two or three picks in this draft. Second mock in a row, we've seen him now come off the board after the top 10. Minnesota Vikings take Devin Lloyd, the linebacker. 13, the Houston Texans take Devontae Wyatt, defensive tackle from Georgia. The Baltimore Ravens backed it up with another defensive tackle from Georgia, Jordan Davis. At 15, the Eagles take Derek Stingley, cornerback from LSU. 16, poor Luca. The Saints take Charles Cross, offensive tackle from Mississippi State. Uh, 17, the Chargers take Trevor Penning, offensive tackle from Northern Iowa. At 18, I think this Eagles taking three receivers thing in a row is going to happen because this the Ringer has them taking Drake London, wide receiver from USC. At 19, the Saints take George... Karlaftis edge from Purdue and then at 20 we do get our second quarterback off the board the Pittsburgh Steelers take Malik Willis quarterback from Liberty um, overall that was not a very painful 11 through 20 for us Luke I think really for what we want the bills to do cornerback is sitting very pretty because right now we only have Derek Stingley and Sauce Gardner off the board and the bills are up in five picks so it's a very good situation for the Bills.
1: Yeah, that was definitely a much better 11 through 20 than these other ones have been. Um, Honestly, you know, what the worst part about that draft for the Bills and kind of the AFC in general is Malik Willis just magically falling to 20 for the Steelers to take and possibly get a franchise quarterback sitting at 20. Shades of I mean, Roethlisberger, prob- right? Right, exactly. It's like uh that's the one where you go, dang, I mean... That's probably the worst thing to happen for the Bills is all of a sudden the Steelers where you're like, oh, they're going to be gone for a few years. Finally, take a deep breath. We don't have the traditional Steelers in our conference. Well, they just got Malik Willis. And if all of a sudden his development accelerates and he actually becomes what some people think he is, that would be scary. So, yeah, I mean, a boring 11 through 20, we'll call it. I mean, this is this is a chalk mock. That's I'm going to really go out on a limb and say this is this is your. I don't know exactly what the motives were behind this, but this seems more about drafting value at pick than what needs were. Cause this is very much like, yep. He fits at, you know, Stingley at 15. That's where I'd probably have him. So that makes sense. Cross at 16, Penning at 17 to the chargers. Makes sense to me. Drake London had the three wider rece- three years in a row with the wide receiver for the Eagles. Very, very funny. It's hilarious. But, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, overall, much better for the Bills. I think um, there wouldn't be much to be upset about. Like I said, the most thing to the thing to be most upset about, honestly, might even be that Malik Willis fell to twenty for the Steelers.
0: And then pick twenty one, the New England Patriots take cornerback Kyer Elam. So we're starting to see the DVS mm. come off the board. Pick twenty two. Stop it, guys! The Green Bay Packers take. Traylon Burks, wide receiver, Arkansas, please stop. Arizona Cardinals break our heart again with Andrew (laughs) Booth. DB DB comes off the board, and then the Dallas Cowboys at pick 24 take Boye Mafé, defensive end from Minnesota. So the Bills are sitting on the clock, and let's quickly go through what has happened. Two quarterbacks off the board, Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis. Four receivers off the board, so the receiving group is still not too thinned out yet. You have Jamison Williams, Garrett Wilson, Drake, London, and and Burks. Um, Four tackles off the board, Neil, Aquanu, Cross, and Penning. We have six edges off the board with Hutchinson, Thibodeau, Walker, Johnson, Kralaptis, and Mafé. Um, Two defensive tackles off the board with Wyatt and Davis. One linebacker with Lloyd, and four corners with Gardner, Stingley, Elam, and Booth. All right, Luca, we're sitting here. The bills are on the clock. I feel like they're in a really good position here to take a cornerback. It feels like the cornerbacks have fallen to them. Um what do you think? I also, you know, if maybe if they like a Chris Olave, this would make sense for them. You know, we've mentioned the other guys and the other mocks, but you know, Olave's a guy that gets a lot of run in the first round. I know we're not as high on him, but that would make sense here if they are high on him, especially if they're looking for a pure slot. Uh, what makes sense to you here at pick 25?
1: Yeah, I think there's good enough value at corner that that seems to be something that, again, is like you address an immediate need while also still getting tremendous value at your pick. So it's not, you know, I think we brought it up in our individual chats through the week where, you know, where do you stand on drafting? Should you draft immediate need? Or, you know, do you just draft strictly on value? Well, this might be a scenario where you have that perfect marriage. You have that marriage of both immediate need meeting tremendous value and that would be a corner. Now Alave would also kind of fit that, you know, getting that extra weapon in there is an immediate need. It would be really nice and then Alave is viewed by a lot to be someone that shouldn't even be here at 25. Obviously, we have discussed how we might not feel that same way about him, but we're not the ones making the pick. We're not the one paid millions to do so. So, I don't know how they feel and it would I'll I'll put it this way, if Alave um If Alave was taken at this point, it would almost be surprising in the sense of, I can't believe Alave was still there at 25. I guess that would be the way I'd put it. I I don't know if I'd still be happy about it or not. It would just be almost shocking in a way. Um, I think... If we're, you know, we're, we're simulating that we're at a bar here and we're discussing stuff. I think the entire time until they announced that the pick was in, all I would be doing is looking at you telling to stop talking about players before the draft, because then the Arizona Cardinals are going to swoop in and take them because that would be now two or three years in a row that you have fallen in love, fallen (laughs) in love, apologize with a guy that then all of a sudden the Arizona Cardinals out of nowhere, just go and take so. Yeah. Yeah, that would probably be what I would be doing in this moment in time.
0: Well, with the 25th pick in this mock draft, I'm trying to pick up their description here. Give me one moment here. The Buffalo Bills select cornerback Trent McDuffie. Now, Luca, to me, this is almost the antithesis of the woolen pick. And I'm not saying that McDuffie is a high floor, low ceiling guy. He's not. He has a high ceiling, but he's a guy that comes into the NFL ready to start day one. You just throw him out there and you have a solid corner. He has room to grow. He has the ability to develop into a high end starter in the NFL. He doesn't have the freakishly off the chart traits that a woolen or even a booth have. Very few guys do. But what you have in McDuffie is just a technician who's really good in man, really good in zone, uses his hands well, great attitude, and it's not like he has a limited skill set where you're like, well, he's going to be a baseline starter, but you're probably going to want to replace him. I think this would be a home run pick for the Bills. Sure, it doesn't have that sexy upside of a woolen or a booth. Um, Maybe it does. I mean, there's nothing to say that a, a guy that has Trent McDuffie's archetype couldn't develop into an elite cornerback. He absolutely could but he just doesn't have that 6'4", 4'2 speed that we see. But he is a technician. It would be a very fun pick. A guy that in mocks you see going in the teens, falling to the bills. This pick just makes way too much sense to me. I was trying to talk myself into maybe they go Alave, maybe they go Zion Johnson. That's another guy maybe we got to start talking about as maybe he's not as high as we are thinking because this is now three mocks in a row. He's falling to the bills and they haven't taken him. Um, but yeah, I think I think this pick makes a lot of sense and there's really not any way to poke a hole in it. Biggest need, probably the best value. Brandon Bean could go up there with a straight face and say the best player on our board was there. It just so happened to fit a need and we took him. And I don't think anybody would call
1: BS on that. Yeah, absolutely. I I think Home run might be a stretch, in my opinion. I don't I don't think I would go, oh man, home run on this. Now in the sense of is taking the best available corner, getting good value out of it. McDuffie's seen as someone that could even be top twenty. So all of that. Yes, I'm with you with the home run aspect. It's just, yeah, the ceiling may not it's still a pretty high ceiling. It's just not as high as a freak athlete at Woolen. But what I will what I will say with Woolen is Woolen could be there come second round, maybe even third round, I think he is the one that is kind of a big question mark as to where, where majority of the teams see him falling. I, you know, obviously we haven't dove into anything outside the first round here on this pod, but as we've explored a lot of stuff, I mean, seeing him in that one mock was even surprising in itself. So the cool thing would be you have McDuffie and he would almost be that final piece feel right I think I discussed it last week where just the final piece that gets you over the edge and then say you know Trey comes back and he is pretty we'll say 85 percent of him and then you have McDuffie opposite of him and then you have Taron Johnson in the slot and everything it's almost like that you're you're watching what we want to have happen this season and I'm not going to say what right now because now I'm starting to get in that mindset of jinxing it but you're starting to watch that transpire. You're watching that final piece finally slide in place and it's all happening in front of you and you need to sit there and enjoy it because it made too much sense not to make the pick. And that's what I would feel like. I would I would be very happy with it. I'm not saying when I say you're you calling it a home runs a stretch and I'm saying that because I don't agree at all. It's just more of a almost like a relieved like, yep, you just slid the final piece in the puzzle in there let's 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 fucking do it let's go on this run let's let's go on this journey together with everyone around and let's do the damn thing that we all want to do and um i would love it
0: i'd still be mad that andrew booth went off the board to your cardinals i like booth (laughs) better than mcduffie but i'd be fine i also i i still have questions about whether the bills are going to value mcduffie i i think his arm length is a thing and we know the bills have their prototype positions, especially in the premium rounds that they like to stick to. I just, you know, I question if he's going to rate as highly with the bills as um, he does on the consensus mock boards we see. All right, Luca, that was fun mocking some mocks. Uh, You know what? There is one more thing I wanted to get to um, that I, I put out on Twitter earlier today that if you have any mocks for us, you want us to mock, please send it to me. And we got a response from my nephew, Noah. So I'm not going to go through his entire first round. Obviously that he did do this shout out to him, but I'm going to read his first few picks to me. Just give me your quick synopsis of what you think. The bills, 2022 mock draft, the pick 25. He has the bills taking Jahan Dotson wide receiver from Penn state. And then in the second round, They take Perion Winfrey, defensive tackle from Oklahoma. I'm going to highlight a couple more picks here, not necessarily all the rounds here. They do get a running back, James Cook, in the third round. I like that pick a lot. And then on day three, they take Kobe Bryant, um, Cincinnati cornerback, and we've mentioned him as a really good fit for what the Bills want to do, and he was one of their top 30 visits. Um, He did have the Bills trading down with the Jets, strangely enough, to accumulate a bunch of picks. But overall, Jahan Dotson, James Cook, Kobe Bryant, you know, I don't know about Perion Winfrey in the second round. I think they're pretty much done at defensive tackle. Who knows? Could be wrong. But uh, I, I could see the Dotson thing. You know, Terry Pagula is a big Penn State guy. I don't know how much Terry Pagula really weighs in on draft picks. But Jahan Dotson to me is, you know, when you look at what the Bills do on offense with um, Singletary, Moss, even Gabe Davis th- athletic profile. It's not like they're out there looking for track stars and it's not like Dotson's slow. I could see him being appealing to them. Um, I I wouldn't necessarily love the pick, but uh, it it makes a lot of sense to me as far as wide receiver need. One thing I will say is Kobe Bryant was um, the first cornerback the Bills took and it was pick 146. So we'd probably be pretty concerned about corner if they didn't add a veteran here along the way. Quick thoughts on uh, Noah's mock draft he submitted.
1: I would not be. Uh, I think I would even be worse off than you, even though it's a wide receiver. Yeah. I think I'd be worse off than you uh, going to bed Thursday night. <laughs> Dotson's one of those guys. So you go into a fantasy draft every year and you're like, these are my untouchables. Yeah. Dotson's one of my untouchables. He's like, uh, don't even flirt with the idea. Don't talk yourself into it unless he falls seven rounds in a fantasy draft. Do not touch that player. Well, well, Dotson kind of fits I'm not hating on the guy right I'm not hating the player I don't think he's a bad player it's just for me I don't really care for what I'm seeing I don't think he would fit what I we would be able to do and get I just don't think the marriage would work I don't there's nothing about him he kind of screams the average at everything to me yes there's nothing great about him nothing at all it's just like yeah he's a guy and to spend the 25th overall pick on him, I'd be, ooh, man, I wouldn't be great. You know I what would, it remind I would remind me be of? Great.
0: I bet you he'd come into the league and in this offense, particularly if he got plenty of snaps, like a 60 catch 700 yard receiver. And you're like, oh my God, the Bills struck gold with this first round pick. And then five years from now, Luca, he's still a 60 catch 700 yard receiver. I think he is what he is. He's kind of like Baker Mayfield in that regard where He comes into the league as basically a finished product. You're probably going to see the best version of himself right off the bat. And, you know, hey, this isn't a slight on Noah at all. Like he's not a Bills fan. He's not taking this from a Bills angle. And John Dotson could easily be the Bills pick. Um, Just not one of our favorites. But, hey, Noah, thank you for submitting that. Thank you always for listening. And uh, I definitely appreciate how much you love the draft. And I know you did a whole seven round Mac draft. So shout out to you. Holy crap. (laughs) He is a dedicated, dedicated draft nut. It does me proud to see what's happened with him. All right, Luca, we are done now mocking the mocks, but we still have a very important game to play. We have to play our big three this week, and we are going to be talking about one hit wonders. Over the course of the 17 year drought, there were plenty of players that Bursted onto the scene with big games or even big seasons, but then for whatever reason it fizzled out and didn't amount to much. Tonight, you and I are going to draft a team of three each, one hit wonders, make our case for why they deserve to be at the top of the list, and we will see, as usual, which one of us assembles the best team. It is my week to come up with the trivia question, Lucas. So, are you ready?
1: Oh, I'm ready. And I'm I'm ready to actually get the votes this week for the better draft. You know, if I'm not going to let my biases slide here. Shout out to Dylan for breaking my damn heart. Dylan came through for me this week. He's like, yeah, Josh won by a landslide. I was like, thank you, Dylan. Broke, appreciate broke you. Broke my
0: heart. Joshua Patrick Allen, maybe you've heard of him, has thrown 103 touchdown passes in his Bills career. Luca, this one might be pretty easy or it might be pretty difficult. I'm not sure. Do you know who caught the first touchdown pass from Josh Allen?
1: Oh, man. Actually, you know, I, I, I'm i honestly going to say that was a great question because uh, off the top of my head, I'm... Oh, the first touchdown. Oh. I'm struggling because it was obviously 2018.
0: Do you remember who the wide receivers were in 2018?
1: See, that's honestly that's what I'm struggling with right now and I'm trying to I'm trying to just come up with a name that makes sense, it. yeah. So, part of me wanted to say like Zay Jones, but I don't think it's Zay Jones cuz Zay Jones would drop it. And because of that, I'm going to say is it the man who is a KFC biscuit away from being a tight end, Calvin Benjamin? Ding, ding, ding. You got it. And oh, what's funny oh, about the drop it thing is Josh Allen hit
0: Calvin Benjamin in the hands in the end zone week one in Baltimore and he dropped it. Week two in garbage time against the Chargers hits Calvin Benjamin for a touchdown. And that's his first touchdown pass as an NFL quarterback. So, with that, you have your choice if you want to pick first or second and third.
1: I think this week I'm going to go first overall. I Let's think I'm going to I'm going to be greedy. I'm going to be first. And to kick it off, I think it has to be. I think it was Stokes on our Twitter that also made this pick, and it has to be this man. And it is the individual who had a what seemed to be a breakout finally their season 2012. CJ Spiller. I think he's he's got to be number one. And then, and I'm going to start it with. The one hit wonder has kind of an interesting criteria to it because it can be you came out of nowhere and just instantly hit the scene and was also, you know, you were great and everything and then you just disappeared. Or maybe you had a long outstanding career of nothing and then came out of nowhere from there or anything in between. Right. It could it could happen from anywhere. So now bring in CJ Spiller. We had a long history it seemed like of drafting running backs and trying to make them work and then we had an individual like fred jackson and cj spiller's first two years were nothing special you know i and all of a sudden he finally explodes in 2012 i want to say and i wrote it down here but i'm getting a little blurry eyed here i don't know why it's 207 carries for 1244 yards just Absolutely out of a cannon. I think he even added 43 catches here for 459 yards. Just an unbelievable season. And it's just, I think Fred Jackson still even had a productive year himself on that team. And it was great. It was everything about it. You're like, finally, this guy is the, th- he is the weapon we wanted him to be. He's going to be this running back that is finally the dynamic playmaking big play, just holy shit, it's going to work. Well, no. After a coaching change in 2013, nothing transpires. I think he get, did he get hurt at one point? I want to say he even got hurt at one point, but it doesn't matter. We let him walk in free agency. Nothing ever came of his career from there. And it's always, everyone brings up, I, I feel like CJ Spiller is almost the first person that always comes to mind as a one hit wonder kind of thing. You always wonder If he could have just let his career stay on the track, if he could have just let that 2012 be something, boy, what could he have been? But you'll never know because nothing ever happened. And unfortunately, in this case, my first overall pick as a one hit wonder is CJ Spiller.
0: That's a great pick. It's hard to argue with CJ Spiller being the best one hit wonder because 2012 We were fantasizing about, did we find our Chris Johnson? Because that's who CJ Spiller was comped to when the Bills took him in 2010. Mm -hmm. And it was a weird thing when they took him in 2010 because they already had Marshawn Lynch. And Fred Jackson was not, at that point, some hidden gem on the roster. People knew who Fred Jackson was. And the Bills in 2010 had so many needs that it just felt like such a luxury pick that they were like, they must just think this running back is so explosive so dynamic that he is going to change their offense and we just didn't see it until 2012 and we saw it and it was like, man, this guy is good. And then it fizzled out. That is a great pick. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I didn't power rank mine as far as to me, there's three big ones. And I, I don't know if I would have chosen Spiller if I went first, but man, that's, he would have definitely been on the tip of my tongue as far as somebody to pick. But what I'm going to do And this one kind of hurts my heart because I was so excited when the Bills had him and traded for him. I'm going to go with Drew Bledsoe. The the Bills traded for Drew Bledsoe in 2002, fresh off of New England's first Super Bowl win under Tom Brady. Maybe you guys have heard of him. And the Patriots decided to move forward with Tom Brady. Makes sense. Win you a Super Bowl. It's kind of easy to see that decision space. And so the Patriots trade a 29 turning 30 year old quarterback to the Buffalo bills to give us what we all thought would be our first legitimate franchise quarterback since Jim Kelly retired. And Luke, it started off fantastic 2002. Our offense was Eric molds, peerless price, Jay Remers, Josh Reed even had a productive rookie year. Travis Henry in the backfield, and Drew Bledsoe throws for 43,000 yards and 24 touchdowns, makes the Pro Bowl, and is just lights-out offense in Buffalo. The Bills are so much fun to watch. And we went into that 2003 offseason thinking, man, this defense was Swiss cheese. We just need any kind of defense, and this offense is going to be able to hang with anybody. But when you look under the hood of that twenty-two two 2002 season, It really started off with a strong eight or nine games from the bills highlighted by just an absolutely amazing shootout in Minnesota where Bledsoe almost threw for 500 yards in one game. And really it was when the New England Patriots came to town and the Patriots won 38 to seven in Buffalo. It felt like Bill Belichick had put the recipe out for how to slow down a Bledsoe offense. And at that moment you were like, okay, this was probably just a bad game, whatever, Well, as time went on and you saw it develop over 2003 where Bledsoe went from throwing 4,300 yards in 2002 and 24 touchdowns to 2003 throwing 2,800 yards and 11 touchdowns. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, he must've gotten hurt. Nope. He played every single game and that was his number line. And it didn't get much better in 2004. He throws for 2,900 yards. Does throw 20 touchdowns, but just not anywhere near that explosive playmaker that we got accustomed to in the first half of 2002. It did look like after that, the Patriots had made the right decision to move on from him. He was so much fun in 2002, made us think that we had arrived on offense, just needed a defense, but then fizzled out in 2003, 2004. Then it's been a couple years in Dallas before finally getting replaced by Tony Romo and has since retired. The Patriots were proven right to get rid rid of blood. So, but man, 2002 had us all thinking big things. And that is why he's my number one pick.
1: It's a great pick. I, I, it probably would be my second pick as well. I, I I don't know if I'd have him at two or three, but he's definitely up there. I, I always look at him as the guy who sprung, you know, sprung Tom Brady, Tony Romo, and did nothing for the bills. Even in that time, (laughs) I don't, I don't understand how you do that. He sprung JP Lossman. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. I, I'm not sure how uh, I feel about that. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, no, he. It's it's an interesting one hit wonder because in a traditional sense, I feel like people wouldn't necessarily see him as that because it was just a decline. But as you said, when you really look at it, when you really look under the hood, it was only a small chunk within a season that Drew Bledsoe was dynamic and was everything you thought with the positives as a Buffalo Bill. And then from there on out, it was not pretty. So I think that's like the the best sneaky one hit wonder. That's the one where in a traditional sense, as I said, not what you think as a one hit wonder, but definitely fulfills the criteria. So I'm going to go a little bit
0: off the board with my second pick, and I don't think this is the best value. But this is a guy that I will kick myself if I don't come out of this draft getting. I think there's a couple names I like better than him, but I'm confident that one or two, one or two of them will fall to me. I want to make sure I get him because to me, he was the first name I thought of when the one-hit wonder topic came up. And we're going to go back to 2001, a linebacker by the name of Brandon Spoon. Now Son of a bitch. Okay, so you're familiar with him.
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely.
0: There is probably a large contingent of Bills fans that are either unfamiliar with Brandon Spoon because they're too young or because he only played one year for the Bills in 2001. Um, the Bills had a starting middle linebacker by the name of Sam Cowart that year who got injured and Brandon Spoon came on and started for him. And it's not like he played gangbusters. He only had 65 tackles, but he had... Two touchdowns, interceptions, return for touchdowns, and he looked like an absolute playmaker on the field. He was getting tons of recognition. I want to say he finished um, with voting for Rookie of the Year, but I don't have that in front of me right now. But at the end of the year, and you have to go back in time, remember, this is Greg Williams' first year, Tom Donahoe's first year. Basically, all the remnants from the 90s Bills was gone. You know, Reed was gone. Thomas was gone. Bruce Smith was gone. It was Doug Flutie was even gone, right? Marcellus Wiley was gone. So even like the guys who replaced the guys from the 90s were gone. And this was a team that was just completely tore down, had to get out of the cap jail that John Butler had put them in trying to retain all that talent. And this was a complete rebuilding pro- project. We talked about that draft last week where they got Nate Clements and they got Aaron Schobel, and they got Travis Henry. Another guy they got was Brandon Spoon and it looked like they had solved their middle linebacker issue. But in that off season after 2001, he injured himself and he never played again. And then the bills went out and signed London Fletcher and they brought in to spikes. They brought in Jeff Posey. Uh, Brandon Spoon could just never get healthy. There was a great article in the athletic about him a couple years back where he said he had a really hard time dealing with it because he really felt like I found his way. In, uh, in the NFL and proved himself he could play. And then his body just never cooperated. Eventually he had to retire from football. So Brandon Spoon, a linebacker that many people have probably forgotten about through the years, is my second pick in the one-hit wonder.
1: It's, the, it's almost what I would call the perfect pick. Because of how I mentioned, there are many different criteria you could fulfill for this. He's the perfect one. He did come out of nowhere. He was one year and then he was out of the league entirely. Obviously, he got hurt first and then was out of the league. But regardless, it's it's the ultimate just flash of a pan for through a season, just like he was there. He showed promise. He was a name that you're like, oh, wow. And in, in, in crunch time, you know, as you said, Sam Coward got hurt in September, I want to say. So he had to play 14 games and he did a great job. And yeah, the two pick sixes—you know—that's a very fascinating stat line for one year in the NFL. Right? It's not like one year in the NFL with ten tackles and then faded into the the horizon. Just nothing came of you. It was like, no, you actually had a pretty good one year, and then just never amounted to anything. Just a perfect pick. It's the perfect pick. I'm very, I'm very happy that you got that one, but also very pissed off because that probably was going to be off the board. I probably would have taken value with my second pick and then gone with him to wrap it all up with a nice bow tie, but you took it from me.
0: Yeah. I was afraid he wouldn't make it back to me. And to me, he just, he just <laughs> screams one hit wonder to me. Some of these guys, like even Bledsoe, you almost feel bad calling him that cause he had such a good career, but you really have to look at it through just the bills lens, right? Like what he did in new England that sustained success doesn't mean much for this conversation. This is bills career bills drought. So on to your second pick.
1: Yeah. Okay. So now I'm just going to go great value and also just cuz there's a great story that goes with it that I know most people are individuals or anyone listening to this is probably familiar with I would imagine. But I'm going to go with our man the rookie of the year almost Kiko Alonso. He's he is a one year wonder. Draft him, comes into the league, goes on an absolute tear in his rookie year. 159 total tackles, four interceptions, two sacks, one force fumble, an absolute beast. Just, you're like, oh, we got our guy. We have our staple linebacker. He is going to be that. He's here to stay for a long time. Everything's going to be great. Of course. And, and, you know, on top of it, everyone around Bill's Mafia knew how good he was to the point where, There was a time where the legend of Kiko Alonso was trending because of an acquisition that took place in a parking lot over a jersey of his, which is what I am referring to. I won't get too far into it, but I believe it was a, I want to say it was a Deadspin article. This isn't something you want to get into
0: orally on this podcast?
1: Oh, there it is. But uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, I want to say it was a Deadspin article, went on it. If you're not familiar, just (laughs) I mean, honestly, you can probably just Google the legend of Kiko Alonso parking lot, and then you'll understand. Don't look it Um, up
0: on your work computer.
1: Yeah, definitely do not look it up on your work computer. That is an NSFW for you. But, um, of course, after that rookie year and the climax that was (laughs) his rookie year, he, of course, tears his ACL and then eventually gets used as a trading piece, surprisingly, for LaShawn McCoy, does... Minimal, I mean, he goes on and has an eh career. He probably has a pension at this point. Proud of him. But uh, as a Bill, that is a hell of a one-year wonder and has to be at this point my second pick in this big three one-hit wonder draft.
0: It's a great pick. He, he came on to the scene, and the way he played his first year, you were convinced that the Bills had just stolen that draft. That was the draft they got E.J. Manuel. But they also got Robert Woods and Kiko Alonzo, and it felt like, man, like even if Manuel doesn't work out, which at that point it was kind of like, eh, he might, he might not, but you felt like you would hit just an absolute home run in the second round with Woods and Alonzo. And he made a play on a Thursday night game against Cleveland, the game that ultimately E.J. Manuel got injured in that really kind of derailed his rookie year. And he jumped over the pile, and I believe it was Willis McGahee. He tackled a stop on a goal line stop, and it was just like, oh, my God, this guy just makes plays every single week. And then, as you mentioned, he got injured the next year, didn't play a snap, and then eventually was traded away for LaShawn McCoy, who definitely, definitely, definitely is not a one-hit wonder. That is a fantastic pick by you.
1: Yeah, so now, as you were talking, I was trying to determine where I want to go with my third. Normally, this is where I ramble on with ones that I'm like, uh, this isn't where I'm going to go, stuff like that. But because in this draft, this might be the first one where I was the first pick. I can't do that. I'm just going to go ahead, go off the cuff, and I even rank these going into this, and I'm not even going to go based on my rankings. I'm just going to go with the ultimate flash in the pan the one that is on this list for a singular game. And that is for the green Bay game in 2014, also known as the Bakari Rambo game. Love it. And how can I not wrap this up with Bakari Rambo who only played 29 snaps in said game and yet somehow found his way intercepting Rogers twice to help us win that game. 21 to 13 and keep the surprise dream season going at that point in time. I know we discussed it earlier in the year with, I believe, also another big three game. But um, just he is another one of those ones where it's like you want to talk about a one hit wonder. That's a half a game wonder. That's <laughs> the that's Bakari Rambo. You everyone in Bill's Mafia, every Bill's fan out there knows exactly what game you're talking about. If you you remember the Bakari Rambo game, you remember the Rambo game, not one person out there doesn't know of the Bakari Rambo game. And that alone for being such a folk legend in this fan base is the reason he is my third and final pick in this big three draft game.
0: I love that pick because Bakari Rambo had That game, and then he also had the game-sealing interception against the Jets on Thursday Night Football, which was their first national TV win on the road since 2001. Now, it was a ball that was thrown right to him, so it wasn't like he made an amazing play, but he got his name in the box score, and it just felt like, man, and the way he played in the Green Bay game He was even a guy now I'm not, I'm not the biggest Madden ultimate team fan, but I want to say there was even like a Madden moment created around Bakari Rambo that week. And that was pretty cool because we didn't see a lot of that with the bills. And yeah, he, you know, I don't know if anybody thought like we had the best safety in the world or anything, but it certainly felt like they had stumbled into a player and they certainly had not stumbled into a player. He was a guy that was quickly off the roster the next year. All right, my last pick is going to kind of springboard off of my first pick. So I talked about Drew Bledsoe in 2002. I'm going to go right back to that 2002 season and take a guy that Bledsoe threw the ball to 94 times for completions for a total of 1,252 yards and nine touchdowns. And I'm going to go with Peerless Price as my third name off the board. Now, Peerless Price was drafted by the Bills in 1999 and I just realized Luca, this is probably makes him not qualified because he was drafted in 99. Uh, but I'm going to go through my reasoning anyway, and just ignore the fact that he uh, kind of breaks the rules to be on this team because he was on all, but one team that didn't make the playoffs. Sorry for breaking the rules. You should win by default, but Peerless price really did nothing. <laughs> his first few years on the team, he was on a wide receiver group with Eric molds and Quinn early and uh, Andre Reed, so he was buried a bit on the depth chart, but didn't really come into his own until Drew Bledsoe got here in 2002. And he had gone for 393 yards and 762, and then 895 in 2001. You started to think like, okay, this was a year where the Bills were throwing out Travis Brown and Alex Van Pelt and Rob Johnson at quarterback, and he goes for 895 yards and 55 catches, and you're thinking, okay. Maybe they have something in Peerless Price. You haven't seen it yet, but to put up 895 yards with that group of quarterbacks, maybe he's onto something. And then Bledsoe gets here, and he explodes into the ultimate downfield threat for the Bills. Just tremendous run after the catch ability. Every time he caught the ball, you felt like he had a chance to score, which was very evident in that Minnesota game where he catches the ball over the middle and runs it to the end zone on uh, in overtime to get that win. And the season he had there it was a very real situation where it was a contract year and we all went into the off season thinking, let's keep the band together. we got to keep peerless price and the bills placed the franchise tag on him. And you're thinking, great. So we have peerless price. We have Eric molds. Our, our offense is set. And then a couple of weeks before the draft, the bills traded peerless price tagged to the Atlanta Falcons for a first round pick. And that pick ended up becoming Willis McGahee. But you're thinking, okay, well, Shoot, we got our first round pick back that we had traded for Drew Bledsoe, but man, we gave up on a receiver. We do have Eric Molds. You felt really good about what you saw from Josh Reed, his rookie year. So you felt like maybe he was an answer there at wide receiver too. I know, different time back then. And um, you ended up signing Bobby Shaw in free agency, which seemed like a decent move. But Peerless Price, it felt like it was going to be a guy that you just really were going to miss on this offense, that big downfield threat opposite Moulds. He goes to Atlanta to play with Mike Vick. And you're just thinking he is going to put up schoolyard crazy video game numbers with Vic, who is just coming onto the scene and taking the league over. Vic had gone to Lambeau Field in 2002 and beat Brett Favre in the playoffs in Lambeau, which is something that hadn't happened up until that point. And then in 2003, in the preseason, Michael Vick gets injured and Doug Johnson starts the first game for the Atlanta Falcons. Peerless Price goes on in 2003 to catch 64 passes for 838 yards. Nothing special. Three touchdowns, certainly not the investment they thought they were getting when they traded a first-round pick and gave him a huge contract. Follows it up in 2004 with Michael Vick as his quarterback and plays a full 16 games, catches 45 passes, 575 yards, three touchdowns. The Falcons then in um, 2005 draft Roddy White. And that is about all she wrote for Peerless Price in Atlanta as he fizzles out, goes and plays a year in Dallas that I honestly don't even remember. Had six catches for 96 yards before eventually making his way back to Buffalo, the Marv Levy Dick Juron Bills in 2006, 2007. Very much a shell of himself, not the downfield threat. No explosion left in his game whatsoever. Very much a possession receiver at the time. Did have one big moment in a comeback game against Houston where he caught a touchdown pass in the end zone. Obviously, that's where touchdown passes are caught, but caught at the end of the game from J.P. Losman, Gave you some hope there, but never regained that form he had in 2002 where he thought maybe he and Mould were the best wide receiver tandem in the league. So, Luca, my third pick is Peerless Price.
1: So I'll start with my rebuttal to that, or response to it, as I just want everyone to understand that Josh primarily runs the Twitter. And when I saw him put out the tweet about you know what we had discussed for being this topic, the one picture that stood out to me was Peerless Price. And I went, huh, he thinks Peerless Price is a one-hit wonder. I never thought of him as that, looking up his stats. I'm like, okay. I get it. He was never one that I viewed up until today as a one-hit wonder. But I can understand. I can definitely get it. I will also give you a pass. The rules of this game and this topic did not stipulate that the player had to be on the team only during the drought. It stipulated that the one-hit wonder had occurred during the drought. Oh, gotcha. Good. Boom. Boom. So you're good there. I'll give you a pass on that one, but I'm still a little surprised. I I agree. I, I'll I'll preface this also with I agree, but I'm still surprised with individuals, and this is where I'm going to do my little rant to get in you know honorable mentions. I'm surprised there's individuals such as a Carlos Williams, a Mike Gillisley, a Co Simpson, those kinds of. I mean, even Josh Reed. Honestly, in my opinion could have more of a, and a Kyle Orton as well. Let me not forget good old smoking darts, Kyle Orton over here, but (laughs) uh, Josh Reed in that rookie year showed promise 37 catches, five hundred nine yards, two touchdowns Looked good. It was enough to do that trade. I think that was the reason they felt comfortable with it. As you mentioned, I believe, but then he absolutely did nothing after that. Just, fell off the face of the earth essentially he was just a depth guy that just was was on the team and then i just want to also like co-simpson would have carlos williams or co-simpson probably would have been my third pick there if i were if i were sitting there with you and i only want to do this to get my last little plug in there co-simpson will live in my head rent free forever for his infamous arrest and saying i'm co-simpson of the buffalo bills i'm worth millions yeah
0: when he made
1: That might be the greatest quote by a Buffalo bill in the history of the drought, because the fact that he thought he could get away and get out of a ticket because he was a member of the Buffalo bills in South Carolina, obviously it was more just, he was an NFL player, but the fact that he used that as (laughs) as his way to get out of it makes me, it, it was a bad thing. He shouldn't, you know, obviously he broke the law. It made me love the man <laughs> using that as your excuse, using that as your way to be like, I'm co Simpson of the Buffalo bills. I'm worth millions. And it's probably a Buffalo cop that was like, I've never heard of you. <laughs> yeah, Probably to be honest, but yeah, it's a little bit surprising to wrap it up here. It's surprising to me that peerless price had to be on your list. It's definitely not a traditional one hit wonder, but I can absolutely understand where you come from and I will Let it all slide. I think that is a, I'll call it a good third pick. I won't give you the great nod on that one. I'll give you a good one. That's an out of the box one for sure.
0: What I think would have supported my argument more is if he hadn't been traded to Atlanta and then put up those pedestrian numbers in Buffalo, but he's more of a guy that ascended to, you know, okay, average above average, and then great in Buffalo and then fizzled out in other teams. Um, So that's kind of what I was saying. I think looking back on it, though, Carlos Williams probably would be a stronger pick, especially considering the conversation after the 2000 and what was it? 2000 and with Rex 2015 bills when they drafted Williams was very much a okay we have LaShawn McCoy. But is this guy Carlos Williams the best running back on the team? nine touchdowns in complimentary role and some explosive touchdowns along the way. But, you know, had that really awful concussion in the Giants game, catching that touchdown pass. And then his wife got pregnant in the offseason and he made a tweet about how he, you know, he had just, you know, she had been eating more because that's what pregnant wives do. And trust me, I can raise my hand and say I did this too. He ate more because there was more food in the house, showed up to camp way overweight, and then ended up getting cut for a washed-up version of Reggie Bush. Um, You know, He definitely should have been on this list. I'm kind of mad at myself for not including him. Another guy that I thought about including, which is maybe a little bit more similar to Peerless Price, is Ronald Darby. Um, Mm. Came into the league the same year as Marcus Peters and was second runner-up for Rookie of the Year defensively. And we had just thought that, man, him and Gilmore – shut down corners. Darby had such an amazing rookie year. And then his second year under Rex, there was a Jets game early in the year, second game of the season on Thursday night football in Buffalo, where Fitz seemingly picked on Darby all night with Decker and Marshall. And anytime they threw at Darby, it was caught. And then it felt like the rest of the year, Darby just had this bad luck charm or maybe this gray storm cloud over his head couldn't stop anybody, but you still held hope for him. Like, okay, he's just, he's kind of getting the short end of the luck stick, right? Like he had a great rookie year and then, you know, he's just, he's kind of adjusting. And then the next off season they trade him to Philadelphia. So, you know, I considered Darby, you know, maybe I should have gone with Darby or Williams over um, peerless just to get away from the whole, let's focus too much on the 2002 bills thing. But that's my list. I think you have a good chance of winning this week. Um, but yeah, any uh, final thoughts before we get out of here?
1: No, I think I think this was a good week. I'm I'm excited, you know, I'm not sure if we want to talk about what we've discussed as our next week's episode, but I'm excited to keep going primarily with draft kind of knowledge and everything we can do with that leading up to the end of April and the moment we are preparing for and that is the NFL draft.
0: It is going to be before we know it. Next time we're on the air, we are going to be less than, where are we at now? We are two weeks away, so we're going to be within a, a week and change of the NFL draft next time we're on the air. Um, yeah, we have nothing but draft coverage. We're going to squeeze every bit of juice out of that as we can as we still dissect all the moves we think the Bills can make. We'll have the opportunity to make, and we have a lot planned as we go forward to the draft, and then obviously we have an NFL schedule that's going to be making its way out here sometime soon and then when the draft is over we obviously have some draft analysis to get into before we look forward to the rest of the offseason it's going to be a fun ride Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed the show tonight as we looked at the stefan diggs deal some jordan poyer stuff we mocked some mocks and then we played our big three game talking about bills one hit wonders we will be back next week with more buffalo bills draft coverage as we are inching ever so closer to the 2022 nfl draft We'll see you next time on Bill's Chat, a pro football podcast.
1: Thanks for listening to another episode of Bill's Chat, a pro football podcast. Be sure to also give us a follow on Twitter, at Bill's Pod, and spread the word. And appreciate you listening through Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you can find this podcast. Talk to you again next week.